one. And we are recording with Matthew Arrett, who uh, came came highly recommended by Dr. Jessica Rose. And uh, seeing as how she's one of my favorite guests, that she is unholy and doesn't give a shit about anything. And that is what I love about her. Uh, I figured, well, if Jessica recommends a guest, then they are a good guest for me. And um, so also, this is like the good camera I got summer 2021, I think. And uh, I moved up here to Portland about two months ago. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And I never set it up again because it was intimidating me because it's scary with a lot of buttons and I don't know how it works. And, uh... So I finally like cracked my knuckles the other night and made a big cup of coffee. And I was like, let's fucking do this thing. Let's just suck the dick and let's make this thing work. And I realized it wasn't plugged in and I plugged it in and it worked. So that goes my whole, uh, I'm building it up, but it's at a weird angle instead of in front of me. It's a long story, not important. So this is the first episode with it in a while. And if it looks like I'm not looking at you, it's because the camera's pointing at me. But nobody gives it's a good. fuck it's about good. that. It, it, it appeals to the uh, the voyeuristic quality of you know people yeah. like looking in a window, you can, watching yeah, us you, in a candid fashion versus can, the formal you, like I'm looking at the camera. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can wear you can wear a trench coat and get binoculars and jerk off and look at me from a distance. If that's your thing, if it's not, that's cool too. We accept everybody here. I would just chime in with with my my request that people not do that that second part. But uh, okay. but feel Fair free enough. to wear a trench coat. That's if, okay. If you're wearing it, all right. You know what? Life's all about. Life's That's all just about though. it's all about compromise, man. But um, yeah, dude. Uh, introduce yourself to my audience, and I guess to me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, um, and and Glida, I'm very very happy that uh, Jessica uh, suggested me to you, and I I've checked out a couple of your podcasts. They're fun. Um, I, I like the rapport you have with a lot of your guests, and you got some really great guests. My my name is Matthew Arid. I'm uh, I'm a journalist, a writer with strategic, the Strategic Culture Foundation. Um, I am the editor in chief of the Canadian Patriot uh, magazine. It's an online web platform that I put together in 2012, um, as well as the Rising Tide Foundation, which I co-founded with my wife, Cynthia Chung, um, a few years back. And the author, finally, I'll, I'll just end it with this, the uh, a four-volume Clash of the Two Americas a book series, which uh, volume four is going to be out this week, um, clocking in it. It's going to be uh, the, the Anglo- Venetian roots of the deep state, sort of going into some of the deep, deep story, deep backstory of like where this oligarchy, this oligarchical structure that a lot of people have woken up to, in especially like the last two and a half years has been a big learning learning curve for a hell of a lot of people. So, I wanted to um, try to give it some contour and shape. Like, what is this thing? Where did it come from? How is it connected to the old British empire that was the one world, you know, empire for centuries? Where did that come from? How is this connected to Rome and Babylon? So that, that, that's going to be uh, unpacked in the the new book. Um, Yeah. That's one thing I always think about is um, obviously these things last longer than a single generation. Um, <clears throat> but I, I'm not necessarily on board with the people 
that and they might be they might be right i have no idea but personally i'm not 100 percent on board with like this is a cabal that's been ruling the world for millennia like i think there have been there has been a cabal for millennia there's always a power structure whether we're apes or whether we're whether you're a you know a bunch of sharks or whether it's it's humanity, there's always a power structure. There's always top down control. There's always disproportionate wealth. There's always disproportionate access to women and weapons. That's just that's as old as man, right? Be it be it the pharaohs or be it kings. But I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm subscribed to the idea that there is a single lineage, and that it's identified as I don't know how to word this it's identified as one like the power has probably propagated from one group but i don't think it's like we are the timeless cabal i think you probably have different versions of it like i don't think the people in charge today at like the world economic forum or the federal reserve necessarily find any identity with pharaohs and kings but nonetheless they are the modern day pharaohs and kings that being said it probably mm. does exist in like three to five hundred year blocks of some like today is like military industrial complex. Maybe I'll, I'll be able to say it more clearly. Today's like military industrial complex, Federal Reserve, Petro Nazi, just power cohort. They are probably of the same lineage of like the one that was around 100 years ago. Right. Kind of setting up the Federal Reserve, World War One, World War Two. They, I imagine in their smoky room of cigars, they have like oil paintings of Bush Sr. and Smedley Butler, maybe like FDR or something. But like, I don't think it's movie-esque in that we began with King Tut. Like, no, it, it probably goes in like four to 500 year, almost like a football dynasty, whereas that's like three to 10 years. I feel like there are blocks of it. Not that you asked any of that, but there's my no, 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 uh, unsolicited. No, chatting, just, casual, as I said it, I'm like, there's my unsolicited opinion. Like, <laughs> no, no, that's good. No, that's that's part of the casual conversation mode. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't think. I, just a quick little chiming in. I, they might have a whether these shady things, these shady uh, military industrial executives uh, have you know common meetings in a certain location uh, upon whose walls we would find a, a Smedley Butler I don't I don't know if they really like Smedley Butler I think no, they, they hate that I realized that was a that was a flaw when I said that they don't have paintings of Smedley and JFK they have targets on those they have dark yeah they probably have like like an effigy yeah 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 yeah, yeah like a Moloch thing <laughs> Hang, they, hanging on a noose they get pissed. Yeah, they get pissed. <laughs> where, where they throw darts. Yeah, yeah they exactly. throw they throw darts at J my older brother had a joke that uh yeah, all the demons that run the world, they have a they have a salsa bowl that's JFK's head and you dip chips into the wound. Oh, you know what? <laughs> There's something here. And be before we go back into the conversation, the question of, of continuity of, of conspiracy, because uh, it's a it's a rich, rich topic to explore. Um but on the issue of of this particular thing we're bringing up now, um I, I live in Montreal and, uh, or I used to live in Montreal. Now I'm a little bit South of Montreal. Um, I wrote in uh, a couple of chapters in, in the second volume of, of my Clash with the Two Americas um, that really unpacked what JFK was actually doing, what were his policies, what power structures was he challenging and how was he eliminated by whom and sort of just mapping out using some of this, the, the research that was published by Jim Garrison, you know, the, the district attorney of New Orleans. Um, I sort of just mapped out some of those structures, tied it to some of the elements of what 
they might be called deep state. You know, we had things that were tied tied to Alan Dulles and his um, very independent intelligence apparatus that had a big control over the CIA, had yeah. big infiltration, big controls of big big parts of the FBI um, that were all colluding. Um, but the, one of the key agencies that I identify and really unpack is was a Montreal based um, operation that was known as uh, the Permanent Industrial Exposition, Permindex. And it was run at the time by uh, by a fellow who had been a former OSS operative under uh, William Louis Stevenson named Louis Mortimer Bloom, Bloomfield. And uh, he was a, a major controller of this thing. Again, its its base of operations was in Montreal. And and what uh, what this thing was is it, it sort of masqueraded as sort of this entrepreneurial conference building um, enterprise with outlets in all parts of the world, mostly in the transatlantic. But what they had been actually doing, and, and this operation was built up during World War II as part of an assassination bureau to kill um, high level um, parties on the other side of the, the you know, in the, in the uh, opposing camp. It was never disbanded. It was given a new sort of like bit of lipstick and put to work during the Cold War integrated with a lot of, ironically, former Nazis and um, and fascists who had formerly been our enemies, who became absorbed into the Western intelligence apparatus by wow. Ellen Dulles and others. Reinhard uh, this was known as Operation was it, Gladio. Yeah, was it Reinhard, Reinhard Galen? Wasn't that one of Reinhard them? Reinhard Galen's entire apparatus was reconstituted yeah, and put back into right, play controlling Eastern Europe. Yeah, we just brought him right in, stamped an American flag on it, and we're like, yeah, all right, let's bygones be bygones. Yeah, for those who don't know, though, this, this is like the top intelligence officer under, under Hitler, who... <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> like this guy was like on the inside of the inside um completely not pun punished at nuremberg they did throw away some some lower level uh yeah. disposables at nuremberg but yeah. the higher level operatives in yeah. both nazi and, and italian fascist camps were all absorbed by western intelligence um including also japanese fascists. i was gonna say unit there. unit 731 japan and exactly. general shiro was... ishii come on <laughs> over <laughs> Yeah, Fort Detrick, Maryland. We, we've got a nice it. office space for you. Yeah, <laughs> bring your it. team. That's that's. Sorry to interrupt real quick, but I, me and my friends were joking last night about you know how like Seth MacFarlane was supposed to be on one of the planes. The creator Family Guy was supposed to be on one of the planes that hit the Twin Towers, but he got so shit faced the night before that he missed his flight. That's amazing. No, yeah, I didn't so know that. we wouldn't have Family Guy. Um, <laughs> but I was we were kind of laughing. We're like, man, like how does that guy ever like tell his kids don't drink or something <laughs> like? You know, I should be dead, but instead I invented Family Guy and I'm worth more money than God. Like, on that note, I mean, what's the takeaway from Paperclip and Gladio? Hey, if you're going to be evil, be the most evil of the evil, you'll get a job. Everyone just below you will do show trials and hang them so that the public is satisfied. But if you're the top of the top, we'll bring you over in a, like a gold-plated jet and you'll be part of the apparatus. What's the takeaway from that? Sorry, keep going. It's definitely, I mean, I, I don't know how um, some of these upper level managers um, of the system talk to their kids. And it's like, do they do they do they wish that their kids uh, take on the sort of mantle and, and, uh, and obligations that they've sold their souls to? I, I would think that some of them don't want that. I mean, because they probably know that they had to kill something inside of themselves along the way to become the players that they are. And I'm just, I'm speculating right now. Yeah. Right? But I, I would imagine that that there must be something deep down inside 
you know, looking at the innocence of a small child that you've brought into this world that you're like, I would rather not have this kid go through what I particularly went through um, as far as, yeah, murdering my innocence and yeah. engaging yeah. In, uh, in something that oversaw the murder of, you know, millions of people in Africa, you know, leading beautiful souls like Martin Luther King Jr. and JFK. I'd rather not have them. To do. But maybe that's very, that's maybe probably a minority. Well, that um, might be our own have the call to conscience scratching that, away at them. That might be our own projection of humanity. Maybe the very fact maybe that they are capable so of effectively. Doing it. Yeah, they might have killed it so effectively might, that that's not even a thought. I'm maybe going they're just like, yeah, okay. I'm going let's one step, my kids. I'm <laughs> going one step sure. further and saying that they didn't have to kill shit. It was never there. They are either true believers or just psychopaths. They're like, they're, you know, you and I are having this talk, and they're probably like, what do you, what do you mean? I had to kill something. They're like, I protected yeah, I, the I, empire. They might have that opinion, but I, I don't subscribe to the the popular idea of the psychopath as somebody genetically born with no conscience. I, I don't. I just don't believe that. I, I think everybody has, at birth, like some potential yeah. to to have conscience. Maybe the amplitude of it is maybe uh, differentiated, but I think it's always there to be made better or worse um, based on our decisions. Well, um, that's my view. Kind so of again, whether 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 in my view. In, in my worldview, whether or not they are, any of them have a memory or recollection or a still a little bit of a, of a pull a, um, in their subconscious or maybe in their dreams that come to haunt them. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'd like to think maybe they have bad dreams. I, <laughs> I like feel to... I feel like the nepotism, it doesn't really seem like nepotism's there. Because I mean, if we're talking about like the deep state, like the power structure, that is like the tip of the tip of the spear. That is the highest apex. I don't think that you know, aside from like a George Bush and then like, you know, HW passing it along to W, I don't really feel like nepotism works there. I think it is just the most ruthless. Like, like we don't hear the name Dulles anymore, right? We don't hear, you know, the Carnegies and Rockefeller. Like those are all kind of, they go away. I think it's, I think it's probably just like an ever refreshing cycle of just the top dogs make it. And it probably doesn't get passed on. You know, you're 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 a child. You probably eventually you reach an age where you go, I think my dad was involved in some hardcore shit. And you probably just I don't know, you probably gotta bury that and go, you know what? What just you know, you probably just blot it out. You just go, whatever. <laughs> and you just kinda right, you go, Did my grandpa assassinate JFK? You're like, I don't know, man. I got a wife and kids. I'm just doing my thing. You probably just blot it out because I don't know what else you can. And if and what are you going to do? Challenge them? Because you're postulating that these are the guys that run the world. It's like that line in the Batman where he's like, he's like, so let me get this straight. You're speculating that your boss is a billionaire who fights criminals in the middle of the night and beats them with his bare hands and your job's to blackmail him. Good luck. Like if your speculation is true, that your dad is one of the most ruthless operators in the world, what are you going to do? You probably... no, I mean, I think that this is where it's a probably the way, the way I see it. Oh, and I didn't get to my punchline. So, okay. No, just quickly, sorry. Just let me, let me, let me just quickly. Uh, no, no. Double, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Back, no. And then we're going to jump back on this. Don't, don't say the story because this is all tied together. Right. Um, as far as the, the JFK hit out of Montreal via Permadex, there is a, the Permadex building um, still exists. It's, it's in the World Trade Center building, which actually the, the World Trademark and Trade Center were, were always uh, co-run by the same 
uh, proprietors of Permindex, and they were Permindex was kicked out of France. They were for for being caught bankrolling two of the thirty assassination attempts on Charles de Gaulle, and de Gaulle basically just said, "Get the hell out!" Just at the same time that he was kicking out NATO's headquarters from France, he also kicked out Permindex, saying, "You're not allowed to be here." Um, all this to say, down the street from their headquarters on uh, Saint Jacques Street in Montreal, so you walk about five minutes north from Saint Jacques Street, there's a, a a street called Jeff, John F. Kennedy Street. And right at the the, the beginning of the street, um, and you literally you could see the Permadex building, is a big, big head of JFK, um, which we're told is an homage to JFK, a memorial. It is an ugly, ugly head that looks like it's melting. <laughs> Bronze, like melting, severed head. And in my mind, I'm looking at this thing with my knowledge of like that entire operation and their relationship in killing JFK as well as other leaders, including Enrico Mattei. And I'm thinking, no, that's a trophy. Yeah, it's floating. Those in the the know, they look at that and they know exactly what that is. (laughs) That's yeah, that's a Uh, that's that's a fucking taxidermy moose in a hunting lodge. Effectively, yeah, that that's exactly yes. how I see it. Um, so that was just in in, in regards to the the dirt throwing uh, <laughs> in the smoky in the smoky little oh, room yeah. at the JFK's picture. I, I do actually think that there is an element of of that ritualistic um, trophyism. Um, back to the question though of which we're getting at in, in terms of the uh, the continuity of this um, this very unnatural way of thinking and being that is necessary to maintain a system of, of controls of the sort that we've come to sort of discover we've been living in for a while. I think personally, it's a bit of both. Um, like family, families, the, the family structure has, has utility to it, you know, um, for good or for bad, you know, if, if you're, if you're, father, grandfather, if you've got a heritage of greatness, that, that is something which, um, can be used to inspire you to ki- carry on the moral torch of, let's say, a great ancestor. And and it, it does something good for the identity if you're a moral person. Um, similarly, too, um, there's certain privileges that if you're told, you know, hey, look, your your uh, your family has, has really gained a certain respect and thus uh, prestige and that uh, guarantees you or, or at least affords you certain doors and keys that will be opened. Um, it could also cultivate a certain sense of elitism, mm. which cuts the individual's identity off from the, you know, those who are of lower blood, lower families that are below them. That that creates a, a real toxic uh, soil for an identity to grow into, right? And we know that people like Skull and Bones is yeah. one simple low-level example of a type of operation that was created in the 1820s, I believe, or maybe early 30s out of Yale, which is a hereditary club. You can't be a member of the club unless your your father, grandfather were also members, and then you can get the tap, and then maybe you'll you'll be allowed in. Um, so that's like one low-level example of how we see the usefulness of this approach to finding and, and, and grooming um, your next generation managers. And I, I just say managers because I, I who's doing the selections, right? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, is it just like some self-feeding thing of like, you know, members selecting members, or is there a higher um, organizational system managing this type of of operation? That's another question. Um, is it ju- so? How much of it is hereditary, and how much of it is um, cultural? I think that it's a bit of both. 
but some of these families like if you if you actually do look honestly at like the there's something called the the brooks book of peerage a uh, brooks book of peerage and it's a useful little book they publish it every year with an update of just all of the the hereditary nobles of the old uh monarchies of europe people who are some some of the people in the in the book are currently tied to the house of windsor or Saxe-Coburg-Goethe, or, you know, the Swedish royal family, and they all intermarry. That's the one thing about the the, the Book of Peerage, which goes back many centuries. And you can just, just they make it public. It's not, not secret, mm -hmm. you know, and you can just see there's a lot of cousins marrying cousins, like the Queen of England, who just died, was married to her cousin, same grandma, Queen Victoria. It's a, it's a thing that, that they do, and some of them are pretty far back. They could, you know, um, that's a very shallow gene pool and it just gets shallower and shallower. Yeah. Um, so there does seem to be the hereditary bloodline uh, incentive is there. But at the same time, we do find like in my studies of oligarchism, like history, as far as oligarchical systems, sometimes families get an alpha family can, can be taken out. Yeah. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes a newer family is brought in. It didn't really have, as far as I could tell any, any precedent. Um, um Hold on, let me shut this one down. Keep talking. Oh, yeah, do what you got to do. Um, sorry, keep going. Yeah. So in that sense, since there is a bit of backstabbing, you know, that, like there's only so much honor amongst thieves. Like this is like a thief type of of uh, power power grouping because the entire idea of their affluence, of their of their right to have the ownership of, of the properties, the the lands, the the farms, the castles the trusts that they have been born into possessing it all comes from basically stealing well, yeah <laughs> like none of it was like earned created uh in an honest way and so you have this this hereditary system tied to um an idea that we have to maintain our structures of looting the many who are born into poor families and are thus not privileged to have access to either our, our the, the the means of creating um wealth that we've been we enjoy or the the type of knowledge that we have to train our young to have access to because they're going to have to carry the torch so there's a a, 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 a transgenerational appreciation that many lower order people born into you know the normal world just simply don't are, are not appreciative of this transgenerational mode of thinking because you have to you have to think in a very specific type of way that is that allows you to um, appreciate the invisible sort of levers of of popular opinion formation, thought control, things that that keep you know um, the slaves loving their shackles. Yeah. Um, that so that there's that cultural thing too, but they both work together. What is so interesting think, about? Sorry, go, keep going. No, no, no. I, I was gonna just segue, but no, go for it. Yeah. Um, sorry, I think, I think we have like a, like a one second delay or something, which always manifests as me cutting off the guest. And, uh, um, yeah, people are like, you gotta stop cutting them off. I'm like, there's a, I don't know if there's a, if there's stop talking. Um, but again, a, a burden of us lower people that we don't have the faster than light internet. We have the peon internet, but there is something interesting. It's like about, uh, it's like cheating in, in professional sports. Like, sure. It's bad. But the reality is, is that's part of the game. You don't have to like it, right? If you can take out the president and 
become the president, if you can successfully do a coup, there's no one above that to scold you. I mean, maybe God, but if you can get away, if you can get some untraceable growth hormone, you can become the best athlete ever. Yeah, sure. Maybe a century from now, they'll uncover evidence and you'll be slandered, but like you'll be gone. If you, if a Michael Jordan or a Tom Brady can find a way to cheat that won't be discovered for another 200 years, they're the top dog. And we can sit there and go, oh, they cheated. Cheating's part of the game if you can get away with it. It just is. So to about the, uh, back to what you're saying about like families and how some of them do get weeded out, there is something interesting about an influx of new families. No, they don't get it. They don't get tapped, right? There is no skull and bones or wolf's head or scroll and key where they go, you're in. But if your power is so undeniable, if you become a, a Jeff Bezos or an Elon Musk and you're, you know, just big dick energy, third of a trillion dollars, biggest defense. Like Elon Musk is the biggest contractor for the DOD. It's not Northrop. It's not Boeing. It's one dude. That's insane. Like Tom Brady has more championships. The number two place is an entire football franchise. Number one is Tom Brady. So like the biggest defense contractor, it's not, it's not general atomics. It's Elon Musk. And then it's a corporation. So that's, that's undeniable power. You can start to throw your weight around and sort of get into that 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 club by virtue of the fact you control so much and if you don't let them in which is probably a big thing right there's the you know your your new blood you're some you know my father's money's my father's father's father you know we fucking you know we sold slaves to washington who are you with your all right well that's how you're gonna see you have to remember though sure these clubs seem old but in the grand scheme of things you know 300 years is nothing so at one point they were new Harvard was founded in like what 1604 or some shit. Sure, ancient to us, but at one time, just like it is now, 2023. At one point, it was the new year, 1604. What's this bullshit startup club, Harvard? Don't they know? Well, add enough time, and then it becomes ancient and you know monolithic. And oh, Harvard. So the new the new money, Bezos, Musk, really all of Silicon Valley, big tech. We may look at it as these upstarts, but in the year 2600, it might we you might hear the name Zuckerberg in the same way we talk about like a Prescott Bush or a Carnegie or a, or whatever the fuck or a Remington. He's part of the DuPont family like that might be it. So that power is so undeniable that back to the cheating thing, you might have a bunch of stuffy, you know, Bush descendants being like, they're not one of us. But doesn't, if you have so much money, it doesn't matter. Money, it, true power doesn't ask permission. They just say, fuck Wolf said. Y'all a bunch of fucking butt fucking losers. Like, we're going to make our own club. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, part of it is like, there, there does seem to be like greater and lesser dynastic operatives. Like, you you know, you have occasionally the granting of a lower, a lower, uh, a a what I call them is dynastic mercenaries. So you, sure. know, uh, if you, you if you've done like look at Jacob Rothschild. Right? Yeah. Today Jacob Rothschild he's like a big big shit, right? And M Rothschilds and Sons and you know he's got a lot of operations, a lot of influence, a lot of money. But people are like, oh, oh it's a Rothschild conspiracy. At the, heart, at the end of the day, it's the Rothschilds who are out to control the world, and they've enslaved the British Empire after setting up the Bank of England, and they 
got the, the royalties of Europe indebted to their system. And it's like, wait a minute, where the, the actual like patriarch of the family that got the ball rolling, so to speak, in the modern age was like Amschel Rothschild, yeah. who was a coin dealer in the 1740s. Yeah. A coin dealer. Yeah. And he was like, he he was commissioned to do certain types of work. He was good at it. And he was given privileges because of his ability to carry out a job. Yeah. He was like, you know, he was made a good money lender. He was told, you know, you got to carry out a certain bit of economic warfare on behalf of your patrons. And we will reward you if you do a good job with your usurious, you know, operations. He did. He got a few little like local nobles in debt irreparably to the point that their, their possessions were confiscated by their opponents. And, you know, he was just like, carried up the echelons and he demonstrated that he like george soros you know he demonstrated that he didn't have the problem of conscience you know to bothering him he just, just was able to swat it like a fly Fuck off. Yeah, very very easy to swat away and uh he just had that that craving for you know just excellence yeah. <laughs> doing your job regardless of how how messed up it was and at a certain point he was granted along with some of these other, what they used to call, uh, you know, Hofjuden, the, the court Jews. That was a phenomenon that emerged out of the, the 11th, 12th centuries. Um, the, the Christian sort of kings had to maintain a veneer of morality that they weren't carrying out economic warfare immorally against their, their opponents. So they would utilize their, they would bring in certain court Jews that in the Talmud, there, there really isn't as much, um, um, condemnation for the utilization of usury, whereas in like the the, mm -hmm. the 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 Bible or in the Quran, it's a little bit more visceral. Like you you shouldn't do that, and they would just use these people as their weapons to carry out economic warfare. And so the, the Rothschilds were just brought in. They were awarded a little dynastic mercenary privilege for you know your kids, your grandkids will be also given certain keys that open doors as long as they continue with the family business. Um, and, and have certain, follow certain rules. They can't just do whatever they want to do. They still have to follow certain rules. And, um, at the end of the day, like, are they ultimately flushable if, if political expedience demands it to be so that, that, that one or more branches of the family be flushed? Yeah, they'll, they're ultimately flushable. We saw it with the emergence of, of, uh, Nazism mm -hmm. in uh, the 1930s and forties, you know, it's like, the Nazis were soft on the Rothschilds, but they were still not friendly. They still confiscated Rothschild property all over Germany. Um, ultimately, and the Rothschilds, were they happy about the rise of like the, the selection of Nazi fascism as the um, the enforcement ideology of the New World Order that was being brought online back in back in those days? Um, no, they weren't generally happy about that they would they would have preferred a different flavor of fascism that didn't have quite that hitlerian um veneer to it they would have preferred a mussolini fascism or something else as, as something that would be a little bit more accommodating to their their desires but they were flushable so i think that um at the end of the day there does seem to be um dynastic powers but there are, are New bloods, and I, I think part of the thing that that's of use would be to look at because in terms of like the, the the question of meritocracy, like can you, um, based on your own creative um, energy and and you know merit as you just 
<clears throat> illustrated with the, the personality traits exhibited by some of these figures you 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 outlined. Um, not that I really think that Elon Musk is his own man, nor do I think that Jeff Bezos is a great genius. I, I think that personally that they're cardboard cutouts. Used oh, well, by, well, well that's, that's part of the thing is to make it look like it's just you. Tom Brady yeah, didn't win yeah, a single yeah. championship. He was part of a team. But publicly we go, Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah. Well, same thing for Bill Gates. Like, I, I don't think in, in my analysis that Bill Gates, I think he's a, a very controlled cardboard cutout of a personality. I don't think he's a genius. I think he was selected early on as a tool, even by, you know, <laughs> uh, probably when he was even a teenager, he was selected. And his father has high high level connections, as you probably know, to the whole Planned Parenthood, Rockefeller apparatus. Well, don't forget, yeah. and Bezos' dad and grandpa. They're like old DARPA guys. Yeah, all of these guys have <laughs> high level, high level nasty connections to the machine. Just look uh, slightly under the like. Let's just peek under the and it's DARPA. <laughs> yeah, let's well, just see who is Michael... back at CIA. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, uh, was it uh, IBM, right? I mean, Bill Gates's mom was a high level exec at IBM. <laughs> it, it, you know, they wanted to bring desktop computing into every household and i think that there was somebody in the pr in the pr bureau who was like you know what the the, the knowledge of what we did by supplying the nazis with uh all the infrastructure for their 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 death camps it's it would be bad publicity if people are not ready for that coming into their houses so let's come up with a new branding and yeah. we'll, we'll have to package it with a character that we can say is like this great universal genius out of his garage a nerdy and uh, yeah, nerdy, unsuspecting, your fluxy, you know, white guy. And uh, yeah, no, it's all just happens to be really obsessed with viruses and population control for the yes. rest of his life. Just a little, it's a, it's a little, it's his side hobby. Instead of ships in a bottle, it's just how about how to cull the populations of sub Saharan Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all have to. Yeah, exactly. We all need to keep ourselves distracted if we're well. Listen, I play so. video games in the evening. He likes to look at, you know, the growth rates of continents. Whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, there's definitely like in the in the um the late 19th century, there was a big crisis in management of the British Empire. Um and uh that was a, a very potent period. And and I, I I devote a whole book to this. When the empire was on its way out, it was collapsing. It couldn't maintain itself. It had funded like the, the Crimean Wars. It, it put a lot of effort, like eight, 1854 to 1860 were like the Crimean Wars to try to entrap and ensnare Russia in this unwinnable quagmire against the Ottoman Empire. Kind of like what they did. Same model of, of what they applied later on a century later with Zbigniew Brzezinski in, in mm -hmm. Afghanistan. Same model, same same template, but that was Crimea. And that was a French, an Anglo-French operation to just like destroy Russia from within. But that was really expensive. And they were at the same time, they were they were putting tons of effort into putting down Indian uprisings in eight uprisings in 1858, 59, 60. Um, they were they're still doing war with the Chinese in the second opium wars. They, they'd put tons of effort and money and, and logistic support into the Confederate South in the Civil War that had already been prepared for a few decades before the civil war officially broke out the british were were mm. heavily invested in breaking up the union that way so they had really spread themselves thin 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 and i think that the world was increasingly also waking up to the the um 
the, the two-facedness of the the British Empire, which always tried to project this, you know, we are this liberal, accepting mm-hmm. society that doesn't judge, which is why international terrorist operations, like international anarchist terrorists, were all, all found their home base in London. That was like they're welcoming everybody in mm. and doing the anarchist conferences of conferences of 1871 uh, that were carrying out assassinations and hits of leading statesmen and, and all this stuff. Like this is not new. They call it today. It's Londonistan. Actually, that's what they call London because London has been the the center of the the, the selected choice of of international headquarters of some of the the leading terrorist movements that all found that oh they're they're freely allowed to operate in liberal London. <laughs> That's so um, funny. Yeah, there's like petitions, open petitions from the government of Mubarak and and uh, Hosseini Mubarak about 20 years ago to Britain saying, get rid of these terrorist operations and, and other, like other governments, Pakistan, India, all wrote letters openly saying to Britain, stop supporting them. They're destroying our society, please. And Britain's like, no, no, we don't judge. <laughs> yeah, that's the fucking point. Hey, America, stop stop funding Al-Qaeda and ISIS. They're, yeah, yeah. It's not an accident. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, like Hitler saying, can you stop dropping bombs on my factories? It's impairing my ability to fight you. Huh. It was. It's not an accident, Adolf. We didn't, the Norden bomb sites from the B, we didn't just throw B-29s over Dresden for shits and giggles. It's, it's not an accident. <laughs> so, I don't, I don't, and like, I don't mean to, I always have to kind of make this distinction because like I've reached this, it's I've used this example before. It's like you've ever been in like conversation with someone in a car or something and it kind of goes to a lull and you're both just driving in silence, but you're still thinking in your head. And then all of a sudden you'll vocalize something, but now you're like 19 degrees separated. You'll be talking about Thanksgiving and all of a sudden you'll be like, yeah, I don't know, man, maybe Bernie Sanders is a Satanist or something. And the person next to you be like, the fuck? And you'd be like, oh, I was just, I kept thinking in my head. And then like, <laughs> So like when I like laugh at this stuff, it's because I've done over a thousand of these episodes since I started the podcast. I think I've I've, I've read read about a hundred and fifty audiobooks and like from nineteen hundred to two thousand, and I've reached this point now where I just look at it and like I can't help but just just laugh at like the evilness of it because like there's nothing to it's all every time you think you found the bottom of the rottenness you you pick it up and the, they're just even more roaches so like i don't mean to like laugh at like the genocide and the assassin but you reach a point where you're like i mean it's almost it's almost funny at how dark it is mm-hmm. so sorry that that's why i laugh no like, dude no i, I get also fucked I completely get that but but i think that's the thing like when you when you people i think they treat it too seriously because of the, their ignorance they, they they look at the the obvious case of secret power expressing evil designs and intentions and just rotten ideas they see that and it's a very intimidating thing because they didn't know it when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply most of their lives and all of a sudden whatever their Here it is. Their experiences that caused them that sh- shook them out of their their normie state of mind they're like Fuck. you know like 
crisis trauma. That's a natural set of emotions to process. Because they're, then good, they, they're they good people. They stop short. They well, yeah, and, but they stop thinking about it and they start treating it as it wants to be treated. Like the the those oligarchical agencies want those who become aware of them to yeah. treat them as if they were like superhuman deities, gods, lording above the mortals. They want that projection because it renders uh, it renders us completely impotent to do anything about it on the one hand. Um <laughs> and partially it probably feeds their their egos a little bit too they probably mm -hmm. get a kick out of it like like you know there's this video of like prince philip in a in a little obscure a bushman village in africa which is carrying him like on their backs and in this village they treat him like a god and they have a shrine with prince philip's picture that was given to them in, like 1954 and they worship this thing they sacrifice incense to it they kill animals to it and they go there and they all worship the guy and he gets a kick out of it you know the racist he's dead now but uh this racist shit like he goes there and you can just see the footage of him just like it's like a big joke for him but he loves it um so i can only imagine that when it comes to being treated like they actually have these superhuman uh powers um, they really do enjoy the feeling of like how these these frightened mortals are afraid of them, mm. uh, kind of. But but at the other hand, when you actually use, you keep pushing on it, you keep scratching it, and you start seeing how utterly pathetically insane this thing is too. Like their self identity, and I would suggest that anybody who wants to um, have a healthy chuckle at this, read Edgar Allan Poe from this light, because what Edgar Allan Poe is actually doing in a lot of his stories. He's, he's, there's been like a lot of effort by his enemies since the day he died to try to portray him as this macabre opium, opium fiend, um, only to be read on Halloween or something. But if you actually look at Edgar Allan Poe, the man, and what he was a part of in terms of trying to give a depth of understanding to his fellow fellow Americans in the 1830s and 40s, he died in 1848, very mysterious, probably murdered, um, and then his character was murdered after he died under tons of, of anyway, that's a whole other side thing. But what he was trying to do was give them a better depth and appreciation into the, the, the essence of evil, the essence and the designs of evil. So you can't, you will always fall for it if you're just projecting your own naive innocence onto the external world. In the real world that, that, that we're living in, there are these forces, these agencies that do evil, that think evil. And it's so unnatural that for most people, like H.G. Wells said, the, the greatest uh, power that the British Empire has going into the 20th century, and he said this in like 1904, is people's unwillingness, unwillingness to think of evil. And because we, we do project our own inner goodness onto the other. And so Poe, being the man he was and being part of the operations he was a part of, and he was tied to the Society of Cincinnati, he was tied to American intelligence, people like James Fenimer Cooper, uh, uh, General Thayer, others, you know, uh, were were highly uh, involved with intelligence operations, good good ones, like actual noble patriots. And, you know, he was really trying to bring people a better appreciation that you have to get into the shoes, get vicariously, don't become evil, but you have to get into the mindset of somebody who's like an imp of the perverse, the character who is the first person narrator of imp of the perverse, who's like going through his, his, messed up mental gymnastics that he had to play with himself to result in murdering unnecessarily an innocent person and and you could just 
see the insanity, but the logical insanity of what this person did, or he does it also in the black cat, or he does it in the, the telltale heart, like get into the mindset of, a, of somebody who drives themselves into doing evil and loving it. Um, but then also un undermining and undoing themselves too, because they have this little conscience too, uh, kind of pulling at them and scratching away at them, which is the, the whole point of the, the, the telltale heart or the, the black cat or, or the imp of the perverse. Same thing. There's, there's like, you discover at the end of the story that the guy himself is like waiting to be executed now for his crimes, you know, because uh, he couldn't, he couldn't keep the secrets in. He just had to blurt it out. Uh, but, but Poe is really also like, he's hilariously making fun of it in, in the, the story of Dr. Tarn, Professor Feather. He's making fun of the oligarchical psychology. Same thing for, so a lot of his stories do this. And and we don't appreciate that, but it, it it's liberating and it's empowering because you you sort of don't you treat this thing as it deserves to be treated as this pathetic parasite that lies to itself and projects images onto the masses, right? Who are then expected to believe in mythologies that are cooked up for us that really just keep us moving like a little herd towards a slaughterhouse, undermining our our own beautiful potential to be to be something much more than what we are. And I think for me, like that, as far as like all the details of Baphomet, Satan worshiping, Templars, like you can go into this stuff and it, it's like, you can keep pulling threads and threads and it's like, it, go, it goes pretty deep. But I think more valuable than all of that, and it's valuable to still do some of the that work to appreciate it a little bit, um, is that there's a simple consistency that, that whether it's 2000 years ago or whether it's a hundred years ago or today or, or, or tomorrow, the oligarchism as a phenomenon, just independent of what particular families come and go, have certain universal constants like invariance. And among those of invariance, you know, include, I think the, the topmost is the idea that your right to control is something which is given to you by by your hereditary thing, you know, like whatever it is, uh, that that you that the masses can have to be kept in a state where they believe that shadows are their reality and the shadow casters, the masters, like in what Plato, Plato is, is exposing in his cave. allegory of the cave in the Republic. Um, that, that the, the power to control the, the, the light cast by the flame that cast the shadows and the sounds on onto the cave wall that people, then the masses are led to believe or expected to believe reality. are reality, which they're not, um, have to be reserved for, um, a special, you know, um, a special elite um and ultimately that we're because we're cattle because human beings should be defined as nothing but talking cows that we have to have our populations kept under control that can be done through things like man managed wars where you get the slaves to fight each other over whatever prejudice you can inflame whatever uh sense of scarcity you can inflame like if you can get everybody just addicted to something which is scarce that they feel that they need then there's going to be less and less of that so that that tribe and that tribe will be more inclined to like clash. Mm -hmm. Even if they have so many points of self-interest in common to work together, they won't tend to do it. Um, and, you know, if there's like less and less food production, again, you can start triaging, find ways of like logically concluding that we'll have to like, you know, eliminate this person or this weak grouping in our society in order instead of keeping them alive. That sort of thing goes back to ancient Roman Empire days. Like we could see evidence of that even before that. So I've, I always I always try to encourage people to like look at well what does oligarchism 
do. Don't 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 folk fixate so much on the particular individuals who come and go or the names of the families. That might be useful, and it is useful. But don't don't fixate on that. It's like trying to find like, well, who 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 was the individual or individuals who killed JFK? Yeah, who pulled the, the trigger? Not not yeah. yeah, it's who killed JFK. Important, but not important. Like it happened. Exactly. A power structure took him out undemocratically. Yeah. Bam. Yeah. Right there. Like, what were the names of like the the three different shooters in the in the behind the the grassy knoll yeah. and the triangulated operation and and like how are they were they mafia like, or KGB? Like, what was JFK doing? Whose whose power was he challenging? How yeah. was he doing it? And uh, you know why was it covered up, baby? They, you know, but like asking those questions is so much more valuable at give, getting insights than simply trying to nitpick. De- and I've seen people who wasted years of their lives, decades of their lives, just focusing on details, and they chasing they down. Those, yeah, and it, yeah, it like it is important. Like you definitely need to, you know, if you can find out. But it's more so you're we're looking at like the patterns like uh, Alan Watts always the philosopher would always talk about you know you, like you need to look at life and society and themes of morality and philosophy like forget like the era you're in forget the technology mm-hmm. is it are we writing on papyrus or are we using laptops like forget all of that you'd be like look at it like a stream when you see a whirlpool in a stream you're not focused on which water particles are in there, which ball. No, it's always changing. Sometimes there's a leaf. Sometimes there's silt. Sometimes it's raining. Sometimes the river's a little lower. No, there are patterns. You see like the white caps, you see the rapids, you see the whirlpools and the waterfalls. That's the structure. Everything else is sure. You can look at it, but don't get lost in it. Right. Was it LBJ and Bush senior? Was it the shield? And was it the, Okay. Was it James Jesus Angleton? It doesn't. It it was the head of CIA counterintelligence, and CIA is a a coalescence of a uh, of business interests and 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 power. That's the importance. What was JFK? It doesn't matter if it was JFK or if his name was Bob Sh- fucking Carrion or or Matt Arrett. Like, it doesn't matter. What was he doing? He was saying, "Let's not do perma war," right? Yeah. There's exactly. the importance. It doesn't. It like that doesn't. Is it the? Is it the? You know, the slave driver whipping the people picking the cotton or whipping the guys building the pyramids. Millennia apart, different continents, same idea. Just same operating system. Exactly. No, that's very well said, Tommy. Very well said. No, and I agree. Like I've used this example as well for some people who there's so many different ways of looking at it. But if you're in if you're in a hurricane, um, it might be it's obviously going to be very scary, very chaotic. Yeah. Cows will be flying and shit. It's going to be like insane. You won't see a lot of order, but if you're looking from a satellite view down upon the earth at the same hurricane, you start seeing structure of the vortex. Yeah, you're like, okay, there's there's a coherence to that. I get it. Okay, but you have to move your mind's eye out of when you're in the process sometimes, it's it's hard it's, it's, to, yeah. to make sense of. There's um there's almost like a Buddhist not not even Buddhist to put a label on or like Zen or meditate. There's like a meditative detachment almost where you just look at it and you're like these are just like laws unfolding. No one, there's no like a, there's no opinion on, I think this glacier should break off and carve through that mountain over a million years. It's just laws unfolding of different, of atomic laws, molecular laws, electrostatic, water fluidity and temperature inversion. It's no, no one invented like the Himalayan mountain range. It's just laws unfolding of tectonic plates hitting each other. And it's different with us because there's consciousness and free will. But there is still something interesting about just 
sitting back and watching it unfold like new power arising and like a new set of oligarchs and silicon valley and tech gods and the next one after that will be uh to quote uh the author christian davenport space barons like they will be the next right and it's and it doesn't mean that you can't you should that also doesn't mean that you can just shirk any responsibility like if you see wrongdoing okay you're probably not going to take down the cia but like you can bring ten dollars of toilet paper to the homeless shelter if you can like you know if you can make that happen like you can still do good you shouldn't just watch laws unfolding and like watch your friend get depressed and kill himself or something i I lost a brother to suicide in 2014 like that doesn't mean you should just sit back and watch these things but in a way you can with like the giant themes of, of countries and we're watching in slow motion just china rising right we're watching america and and russia are we rekindling a cold war it is you can almost watch it just like the seasons changing like icicles melting and yeah. or like new flowers coming you you can just it, and again it's very easy because i'm in I'm in an air-conditioned apartment in clean clothes. I went to the gym. I got a full night's sleep. It's very easy for me to sit back and 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 watch, just like some detached royalty. Like there's some there's some book talking about like the original Harriman brothers meeting with some general in Japan in like 1920, and they're all drinking tea on top of this hotel, watching like riots in the streets, and they're just like parsing out who's gonna fund the new railroads. Meanwhile, they're just people getting like gored by police on the streets and they're like, very interesting, bully. Like, but it but it does allow you to see kind of more clearly. Instead of getting lost in it, you yeah, just yeah. have to view it as, as power structures just kind of flowing back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Well, there there's uh there's a book um written <laughs> end of the 19th century called short book it's, it's almost like a, a long essay called the flatlands you ever hear about that one it's a decent little book it, it's basically um thought experiment of uh, a scenario a storyline is, is weaved of um creatures that exist only in the two-dimensional space and all of a sudden you know somebody from oh, a, a two-dimensional I've, world is i've like watched carl sagan's it. little like oh yeah he's played with that idea so on. yeah a lot of people play with the idea and it it has some like conceptual val- a lot of conceptual value yeah. from the vantage point of somebody who only believes and their, their senses are tuned to a two-dimensional mode of, of space yeah seeing a cube coming into your in, into yeah. your realm you will yeah. interpret it as if it were either a hexagon or yeah. a square or some other shape you know when you when you, when you do a, a projection let's say of a, of a cube and you you have a, a shadow from a cast from the cube on a, on a flat surface that shadow will be a two-dimensional surface yeah and you won't, you know, be able you to see the... recognize very easily that it's a cube. Yeah, yeah. it's actually. Um, so the the I mean, certain whether whether you are somebody who is cultivated and and um, fueled your your conscience, your heart to to develop in tandem with your your mind, or whether you're somebody who has let your heart muscles stagnate and atrophy. In favor of just the mind part growing, which is, I think, the problem of oligarchism is there's like this hypertrophied logic side, yeah. Um, but the but it's not tempered by by love. It's not tempered by um, the scratch conscience. Conscious, the little yeah, they've it, cut it, the it, finger it, off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they sever good. 
So in that sense, both both individuals, like let's say a Plato, who I believe is somebody who I've read all of Plato's dialogues, and I, I'm not at all persuaded that uh, those who say that Plato was a fascist, I think that they, they've probably read things out of context or just one thing out of context without seeing um, his work as, as a whole within a context of a political fight, which he was, he was waging as a person, not just as an ivory tower philosopher. Um, but Plato himself demonstrates in a lot of his dialogues um, the, the purpose of morality as, as not just something which is created by the weak to, to uh, cause the, the strong to lose power, which is the way that, that let's say somebody like, um, there's a character named uh, Callicles within the Gor Gorgias dialogue who maintains that, like that, yeah, morality is not something the wise man and the true philosopher discovers and know he knows that morality is just a, 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 an abstract chimera created by the weak to take away power from those who are strong and more fit to control the weak. And so we have to transcend right and wrong and morality. And that's that's a true philosopher. It's effectively will to power. You know, we, we learn to just impose our will to satisfy our lusts, to create more lusts and more power to satisfy those lusts. And Plato's like, but aren't you, or Socrates is like, but aren't you creating like sort of a sieve with more and more holes and every time you're pouring liquid into them you're just it's it's pouring out and you just need to, to to rush faster and faster hectically to keep on filling and he's like yes that's exactly what i'm saying that's the true good that's the truthful good of the philosopher and to punish your enemies hmm. and so you know socrates just dismantles these things elegantly again and again and again now socrates is thinking from a three-dimensional standpoint in a certain way and and trying to and that's the whole point of his allegory of the cave is to help people understand how to think with the mind's eye to think in volume even though your eyes are only like, accepting um surface two-dimensional uh, appearance you know mm -hmm. um so the mind's eye is more than the sum total of the five senses the five senses are useful but they are not added together the the the, the what what limits what the mind does when it's when it's being healthy now, the differences between, like, let's say, a Callicles or a Gorgias, who also thinks this way, Cal Callicles and Gorgias don't think that anything should, because they, they reject the idea that, that moral principles are somehow connected to the laws of the universe, they reject that outright. They just think that there's laws that are that are just these rules in the, in the cold domain of the universe that cause things to, like, fall down, according to, like, you know, they didn't call it gravity, but sure. whatever, there, there's rules. But they sever the the inner moral world of of humans from that external cold dead universe that they presume exists. So that the humans all we can do is will to power until we die, and then there's like really nothing, or whatever your theory might be. But whereas whereas an Augustine or a Plato or a Thomas More or or Ben Franklin, when you read their writings, they're they're of the view that no, we have to think on the higher level, but have it be tempered by. Uh, again, the sense that there's um, natural law, that that man's law has to always come ever more into conformity with the laws of God's creation in some way, like they call it different things. But there's like this idea that there's a, a harmony in the universe and that our our world will always be in disharmony to the degree that we, we don't allow the laws we create for ourselves to become better, it, to match God's law. Um and so oligarchs are really good at making the, the bad appear good or bad laws appear good, good laws that are actually designed to enslave and destroy us. Um, and, and, and the good laws that were actually protecting us, we end up being foolish enough to 
like look at Glass-Steagall, right? Like they spent 60 years getting their their idiot victims in America to become convinced that Glass-Steagall was preventing them from earning wealth. And finally, under under Bill Clinton, right, they, they struck it down. And all of a sudden, this was the law that was keeping the banks from merging and becoming too big to fail. And we were told, oh, that that's holding back your ability to have creative innovation and uh and you know to to have real like liberal free markets that that law is holding you back so we finally were championing bill clinton for killing it and then what happens it's not like we got more competition yeah Yeah. that was a good law (laughs) so yeah it's 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 always about this balance of uh of morality at the end of the day (laughs) there is that like uh I mean, that it's a, there is like a there is a separation, right? Between yeah, you view the world as just cold, unthinking matter that's obeying laws. It's just marbles bouncing around, right? It forms galaxies and deer and clouds and music, but it's just shit, right? And we're just observing it. And then there's yeah, there's this weird separation where we're not part of it, right? It's it's like when you're stuck in traffic and you go, I'm stuck in traffic. And it's like, no, you are traffic. But we have this weird thing that because we're observing it, it's not us. Mm-hmm. But why wouldn't it be that? I mean, I guess mm-hmm. we, we would, you would then have to get to, does matter create, you know, is, I think it all kind of comes down to, does consciousness, is it created by the brain or is it detected by the brain? Because if it's created by the brain, that means in the brain is a creation of the, the cold matter bouncing around and obeying laws, right? Because mm. that's all biology is, is again, just matter bouncing around in an, in an orderly fashion. If if the mind is created by the brain, by the physical neurons and gleals and electric and shit and potassium potentials, and then we would have to be a creation of this universe. And therefore we are a direct, we are directly obeying the laws of it but if Mm. you think that we are not part of it then we are truly observers then you would say that we don't we're not part of it does that make sense like Mm. how do i put this does how do i put this more clearly like um if you're playing a video game everything in the video game is in that universe but that does just because you're playing it doesn't mean you're one of them like you might be playing a game of wizards and witches and shit, but that doesn't mean that you obey those laws versus when you read about history and, you know, all the old themes of, you know, yeah, the ego, the empire stretching itself thin, the person getting all the money and then betraying their family. Like, no, the, you're you're that you are that you are no different than that versus if you're completely removed from it, which is an interesting thing then. So if you're part of it, there is like a weird inversion there. Because they're saying that, you know, we're separate from morality. That's just the thing that's going on in the world that we're projecting onto it. If you're part of the universe, of this cold, unacting universe, then that means you should actually obey morality. And if you're removed from it, which opens the door of like, so are you this ethereal creature or in sentience, that all of a sudden gives us leeway to not obey the rules of morality. So if you're... Mm -hmm. So if you're some ineffable spirit, then all of a sudden you can go, ah, fuck it all. But if you're part of it, I don't know. I'm kind of tying my own brain into knots now. 
No, I think this is so valuable um, because that that I think gets us into part of the the psychodynamics, the the, the neurotic disorder of the oligarchical psychology, um, which is a tendency to artificially sever um, the 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 self subjectively from the the whole objective process outside of the self, and then to try to manipulate or manage that system as if you're not a part of it as yeah. if you're almost like let's say a substitute deity yeah managing from outside the system the behavior of the parts and it's like last time i no you're here yeah you're, you're, you're there you're you're born as a human in a womb <laughs> your parents had sex you're you're the product of that you're a human and you are trying you've gotten yourself into a mental map or, or a, 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 a set of mental traps yeah. Or assumptions that you built upon fall fallaciously, each one being fallaciously built upon another false assumption that you've weaved and constructed a whole worldview that might seem very sophisticated and intricate and interesting to you and very persuasive. And but despite that, it's it's been wrong from the in, from the get go. It was wrong, and now you're in a place where you are trying to act like a giant. Your ego is in total control. You think you're God, and you you've then created either you you've uh, absorbed or accepted stories that reinflame that that were passed on from people like your grandparents and, and people who from your class who thought just like you did or you know in that misguided way they created whole stories and narratives to convince you let's say look at the kabbalah right that's a big part of of the language or the the initiation process of the uh the ancient and accepted rites of scottish rite masonry and and other branches of, of Masonic lodges. The, just read Albert Pike, and and he's very clear. He pay, he pays a lot of attention. He loves the Kabbalah. They're obsessed with that. Well, one of the problems is that it it does part of the assumption is that every the the true initiate, the wise person, realizes that they are literally God, not that they partake in God, but that they literally yeah, are, they are God. The Godhead. Yeah. And there's no other onto everything is just a projection of your own desires and perceptions that don't really have ontological reality beyond them just being um you are all that you that that is perceived to exist. You are um, yeah, there is nothing and then more. everything else is kind of you could play with. And and a part of this too is if you look at people like Descartes, like Descartes, who is a very influential mind as far as somebody whose thoughts were really promoted and shaped the the Enlightenment age and, and today's um, educational system are very permeated by Cartesian uh, theories, concepts, but Descartes himself is a bit of a toxic, um, uh, underdeveloped personality trait himself. The guy was an abused, underdeveloped, you know, he was a mercenary. He was always just sort of like being played with, being, being used by higher patrons. He just wanted to sort of, he was obsessed with material comfort and, um, he Self said, my of my the laws of reasoning, one must always presume that nothing exists. That's that's mm -hmm. his first, like literally in his rules of reasoning, presume nothing exists. And then the only thing, and he, and he goes by like negation. Okay, you think red exists? Well, this person sees right differently, thus you can't assume red exists. Yep. Round seems differently for you. And then he goes through one of these typical things that all philosophy relativists go through. It's like sound it sounds original and unique, but it's really not. And uh you know, Plato makes fun of this in the Protagoras dialogue 2000 years before Descartes, you know, the, the, that man is the measure of all things. And thus there is no ontological reality. And Plato is just making fun of this thing, destroying it. Um, but all that to say, he says, the only thing that then we can assume exists is 
ourselves because we think. Now that is not a sufficient reason to, to, to even have faith in the mind because he doesn't even ask the question, well, why does the mind exist? Why does thinking exist? Well, he doesn't that, ask the question. Yeah, he doesn't go one step further. He goes, I think, therefore I am. And it's like, no, there is, therefore I. Like, you, you, I think, no, no, you're, think what? What is thinking? It's, yeah. yeah. What is it? Why is it? Why do you think? The wick, like, yeah. The so, uh, animals don't seem to have the same type of thinking as you do, as they humans are, do. So. But they are, are they or are they not? Just period. Are they? No, they are. So therefore, they are, right? Well, they, they are because I'm thinking of them. Yeah. No, yeah. it's, it's. I mean, it, it, the like the spoiler alert. It really does all just come down to there's something going on. Now, obviously, that's limited because we're putting it into words that humans speak. But I mean, like. There is. If you just get really still, don't say anything. There is. There isn't nothing. That's that's the lowest level of observation you can make, and it also never really goes past that. There, there is. Yeah. Well, part of it is, I think, there there's an element of faith. Like, this is where I think the question of, like, pure logic cannot be ever uh, removed from um, faith. In entirely because at the end of the day it's true that we have to have we have to give our faith to the a sort of like grounded assumption that there is other than us like I, I or you accept like a lot of people will say well maybe we're just holograms or maybe we're just living in a giant video game created by being played by some kid in some alternative universe right like there's all sorts of but it still is multiverse where did that come from it still is well no, you, you can't, can't they just kick the can down the road right you can't they're, get they're, to the bottom of it the witness yeah. is that now what is no uh the the observer is not the observed you you can't any any realization you come to when you're meditating you're like oh i'm having these it's what again alan watts would call it said it's like when the uh the the the, the criminal runs into the house and the cops chase him so he runs to the second floor and the cops are on the first floor so the cops run to the second floor so he runs to the third floor. it never ends you just Every observation you have, there's still some, who's observing it. Well, I'm thinking about thinking. Well, who's thinking that? It just goes from there is nothing to reach. You can't. It just. Sorry. Well, you, you know, I, I was just talking to a friend of mine. We were talking a little bit about um, the the, uh, the incommensurability between um, human beings and what we do in our behavior and in, and and how we we engage with the periodic table and nature and everything else which is very different from how um chimpanzees monkeys and, and wolves and other things engage with the periodic table and, and nature and it's 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 an incommensurable modality and so because there's this incommensurability obviously like naive interpretations of, of darwinian selection of uh, natural selection don't accommodate these the, the qualitative differentiation it it, it 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 falls far short to explain these discontinuous um leaps that we tend to find throughout the fossil records we we, we tend to find it also in more you know developed forms of, of society of life and so a lot of people will then immediately jump to well thus it was aliens who came here and and you know we have different variants of it some uh, the popular one is like they infuse their their alien their DNA, dna with some like monkey goop. dna yeah. a hybrid yeah you got it in prometheus the pre-aliens movie too as a variant um but and they're like there that's the satisfying explanation that could account for these discontinuities and it's like okay no it doesn't sure, let's 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 play with that a little bit what was this 
this other planet that this other advanced civilization evolved evolved well, Matt, from. you don't understand they are an alien creation well that's the thing right did they have primitive alien monkeys that were then fused with with dna hybrid hybrid wise from an even older advanced alien civilization that found them and well what about that one well you you're, 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 you you don't get it dude they've two were and then the whole thing's a simulation well who created the simulation aliens who were infused with it you're looking into when you're at a grocery store and you go to the produce section and there's the mirrors on either side and you look into it and it goes for infinity that's the only fucking answer there is no try to tell them that and they go no you know aliens made the mirrors blow my head off i know no it's it's just <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate because it, it it wears the appearance of of depth and profundity when, no, when people usually when they're stoned you know, yeah, we've all just had this experience. We've all been stoned, talking philosophically about this sort of thing, and all of a sudden, it. you're like, "Whoa, this is the most deep thought I've ever had." And then, a couple of days later, you're thinking back to that, and you're like, "That's mm. fucking retarded. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing I've ever thought of in my life." Yeah, because then you naturally go, "Well, who created the aliens?" And you're like, "Oh, we just really walked up to that event horizon when we were high, and then thought we figured it all out." Oh, <laughs> aliens made the pyramids. Well, how'd they build them? Fuck off! Don't look any deeper than that. I had a friend. Well, then college. you get some some variants, right? Like, yeah. like then you have the 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 you know Netflix now, which by the way, Netflix is run by you know Netflix is run by. Didn't like Obama buy it or some shit? He has a, he has an interest in it. Yeah, it's a, okay. a big financial okay. interest. But and it's, again, not I just... it's actually the director is Edward Bernays's grandnephew. Jesus Christ! Hey, wait, hold <laughs> hold on. Hey, I got I got to go pee real quick. Nothing. Yeah, I'm just put a pin on this. Tell everybody where to find your your books and social media and stuff. I'll just wait. I'll assume that. It, Tommy is going to edit this out. No, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not. You're not? All right. Not well, I'll speak very slowly. All right. So the books can be found. I'll speak slowly. On CanadianPatriot.org. They can also be found on Amazon as paperback and Kindle. You can go to um, RisingTideFoundation.net, where a lot of the other content associated with the books can be found, especially with a focus on educational material symposia lectures weekly readings and work uh, workshops which happen every sunday and wednesday afternoon evening um the other books if you get tired of the clash of the two americas volumes one through four you can always engage in the other previous set of books on the untold history of canada volumes one two three and four which will soon be uh, filled out with a volume five coming soon. That can also be found on CanadianPatriot.org. The Untold History of Canada may sound like something that may only interest Canadians, but I, I promise you it has an international context and matters probably even more to Americans who care about the world situation than simply Canadians. What I try to do in the Untold History of Canada book series is reconstruct in a new and what I believe is for the first time, a proper reading is or a more truthful reading than has ever been told of Canada from 1774 all the way up until 1971, which is sort of the breakoff point, um, featuring volume one, which deals with why Quebec and Quebec, which was all of Canada at the time of the American Revolution, failed to accept the Ben Franklin challenge to become the 14th colony participating in the Continental Congress of 1776. That, that entire story is told in volume one, written by an old colleague of mine named Pierre Baudry. I did the forward. Volume two goes through the period of Canada around the time of Abraham Lincoln and Canada's 
potential to become an independent sovereign republic and how that was sabotaged by turning us into a monarchy and the only monarchy of North America, whereby Lincoln's murder was carried out, later on followed up by JFK, whose murder is told in detail in, in volume three. There you go. Here, I'll stop now. I was just rambling. No, that was brilliant. No, okay. no, some people think I edited out. I'm like, bro, I'm not editing it. It's just, it's time for you to do your plugs. Some it's a pain in the ass, I know. No, no, it's, no. it's YouTube, right? You, or it's it's Rumble or whatever it is. You you control your own timeline, so yeah, people can bounce around. Yeah, well, that's that's the other part. I think it's I'm like it's not live. Like you did edit it out. I'm like the time that took you to comment that you could have just gone forward. Plus, space, yeah. plus I just imagine, kind of like, I don't know, like the Bushes, like HW, HW, you know, like manipulating data. They had a George Bush who worked for the CIA that was in Dallas. But it wasn't George H.W. Bush. It was another George Bush. But he was in, there was a there was a CIA agent named George that, Bush in Dallas on November twenty second, nineteen sixty three, that wasn't H.W. Bush. And it's like the foresight that motherfucker had to to just cover his like. I, so I like to imagine that one day, you know, down the timeline of censorship and uh, wokeism, as I will eventually years from now be tried for this podcast I have full of hate speech and 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 wrong think my my legal escape will be that there's a minute or two every episode where I'm not present and I'll be like I don't know what they said you know so therefore the whole thing's vitiated it's it's all <laughs> none of it counts anymore <laughs> that assumes that there's a just system but yeah I'm, I'm sure the the yeah the Gestapo operating the uh the legal courts are gonna definitely respond. oh he had a good there you go yeah, actually, that's that's retarded because the whole idea is that as we become a, tyr a tyrannical dictatorship, they won't give a fuck. Oh, fuck off, whatever. Just shoot me. It's, yeah, but um, sorry. Before my uh uh, you know, before my 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 rude uh, uh bathroom break, Edward Bernays's relative or descendants run Netflix. I mean, it's back to the laughing thing, like. <laughs> It's absurd. It really is theater of the absurd. They and, used to uh, have, as Tim Dillon said, yeah, people are like, well, they used to have bread and circus and then mindlessly eat garlic knots and watch Netflix. It's like, <laughs> those people back then were so easily controlled. Uber Eats and Netflix. And it's like, bro, it's all still here. It's all right here. It, it's never ended. They were so easily controlled back then. They just had circus and bread and then just like, on to the next episode of binge watching. Yeah. Yeah. The, the destruction of potential that has, uh, has occurred under the, the modern bread and circus is just, and yeah, just the lack of self-reflection um, and the ability to situate yourself within a historical continuity, because we tend to think, again, it's, it's part of this. The removal of the below, mind. Right? Like yeah. The, the, yeah. And, and the, as the oligarchies um, at, we, we all tend to, take on or or have some of the traits of somebody we give our admiration to or has influence over a system that 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 leader's influence whether it's a, a good teacher or a bad teacher um a good leader like a martin luther king or a crap leader like a, an obama some character of their morality or immorality is going to um be expressed at every level holographically down the system that they're influencing for good or for bad and i think that you know when you're dealing with the oligarchy with their God complex, you have like a little bit of this disassociation of the individual from the whole that the oligarchy themselves are are um, are carried by is this this separation of this dualism of the other and them. Um, 
and all the way down, like people watching, binge watching Netflix and just getting lost in escapism, whatever it may be, are also increasingly disassociating themselves from the whole that they're a part of. So they look at history and instead of seeing something that they're directly connected to mm -hmm. as a process that's shaping your entire world and being and culture and identity, instead of seeing that, you're just seeing, oh yeah, that's like a, it's a voyeuristic thing, right? It's a consumer society thing like, oh yeah. You know, bread and circuses in Rome or crusades. How stupid was that? People were fighting over like, you know, the Holy it's, Land and, and you're you know, having religious wars. And it's like you're looking dude. at you're a domino and you're looking at a mile of dominoes before you and you're just watching it all tumble. And it, and it, as it's, you know, getting closer to you, you're like, man, those fucking dominoes. It's <laughs> like it's it is the it, it. Yeah. You look back. I think it was. Uh, uh, Ray Kump, uh, is this comedian, but he had, he had a great Tim Dillon and Ray Kump are both morbidly obese comedians, but they're they're so fucking intelligent, and they talk about yeah, yeah, Alan Dulles and Devil's Chessboard and Family of Secrets and all that stuff. But he goes, we've really done such a good job in this country of, and I I love this clearly, I love this place, but doesn't mean you can't shit on it. He goes, we have such we've done such a good job of American exceptionalism, where like we look at every other country both both currently and in the past and all of the human traits of of corruption of like treasonous plundering of the treasury of everything and then when it gets to us we just go yeah but we wouldn't do that like we look at other like you know like michael hastings right the journalist who was what one did he remember when his uh remember he was writing that story on petraeus and then his like car oh, his car blows up right or something car like accelerated to like twice the speed it was capable of and the engine block blew out and ran like three blocks and oh yeah you tell that story and say it happened in russia they go oh putin had him whacked happens here we go huh something's wrong with the car like it's so yeah. it just it stops the reflection the reflection stops where you go, how do people get addicted to these things? Like, right? And then you go get a tooth removed or something, and they give you a week's worth of Vicodin. And you're like, well, I'm only just going to take it for the week. And then, you know, after a week, you're like, well, I still kind of need some, so I'll go buy some. Other people get addicted, though, not me. And it's like, there's no, it doesn't, you're looking at, you're doing like an autopsy on a human, forgetting that you're a human. There is... But I guess that's how you get into the mind of the people that think that they control the whole thing is they're disconnected from it, which, which I meant to ask you earlier. Is that a, is that a, an advantage or a disadvantage to, you know, you get tapped, you're part of this elite, you can, you know, you're part of the fucking, you're, you're part of the higher class and it gives you a sense of deserving. Oh, I'm not a dumb pig. I, I rig the, stock market i'm in control of the military industrial complex on one hand logic would say that that would be disadvantageous right tom brady's son is never going to practice as hard because he thinks he's well i'm a brady versus if you don't think you're good you're going to work so much harder to become the best mm -hmm. but it seems like this is a weird case where normally being part of a line of champions would make you lazier and thus less likely to become a champion because you feel entitled to it in this case it's almost beneficial because it allows you to sever that finger of consciousness scratching you and go no 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 like, these people are cattle yeah. 
Yeah, I guess it, it really depends on what you value. And if you're the sort of person who's who's learned the to appreciate the value of the health of your of your soul, um, yeah, you you would see that as a big disadvantage. Though materially, that 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 particular person would have a lot of material advantages over the majority. But, uh, you know, but if they don't care, if they if they don't believe that they have a soul for first off, <laughs> or if they believe that they have it and just learn not to care about its its health and well-being or how it gets sicker, then um, they would they would be OK with that uh, being tapped on the shoulder. And I thought there was a good movie. Um, it might have had some insidious stuff to it, but I, for a lower order Hollywood production, I thought it was a decent little insightful um, investigation. Um, have you seen um, the Good Shepherd? No. The, um, I think it was Matt Damon. Robert De Niro was in it. It's like 2014 or so. It was a decent little movie on on like somebody who's basically tapped into skull and bones. You know, their parents were part of it, or their dad was a part of it. That's Matt Damon's character, and and he ends up. Um, it's very very closely aligned to a, a true story of I think I forget if it's. James James, uh, James G, Jesus Angleton or, or another character I forget but it basically it just goes through the deadening of his of his soul in the process of becoming integral within the machine uh as a as a as a bonesman and then watching his own son being absorbed into it later on during the cold war and uh man it's 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 pretty good i i thought it was first degree uh, insight good um but as far as your original question of is it really does that is it really a, a disadvantage or an advantage i mean I, I i think if you have faith that human beings are are made in the image of a creator um through and, and are endowed with these potentials that could be cultivated like a garden you know like we you got to put a lot of effort into cultivating your garden and if you don't um, you know, give the proper sunlight, water, nutrition, it'll grow, either it'll be, it'll just die or it'll grow bad fruit or be warped. Um, there's, there's a certain, I think, sense or science of, of metaphysics, or there's a metaphysical component to all of this, I think, whereby there just like there's universal constants to what evil does to control others and control themselves. I think there's also universal constants to what, uh, natural, mature because our, our bodies are always going to mature no matter what that's not our choice their bodies will mature and will die if we're able to you know eke out a living um but there's no it's there's no such guarantee that the 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 mind or the the, the heart will also mature they, there's all sorts of ways for those invisible properties to become warped in, made infantile made you know brought at brought to war with itself in a variety of ways, like there's so many ways to misstep along the path of wisdom and 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 find yourself in a in a situation where you're an idiot wearing the who who thinks you're wise. That's the worst that you know. Plato always got it, or Socrates always always was making the point. Like I'm at least I know that I don't know things, whereas I'm better off than most people that hate me because they think they know things that they don't know. Whereas because I know what I don't know, I'm in a better place. I'm I'm capable of making a discovery, whereas they are not because they're so convinced that they've already made their discoveries. Um, so I think to that extent, it's it's a tragic thing that um, people give into that oligarchical uh, 
set of, of cultural norms that they're brought into because they lose something that that would have made them happier and more integrated um, individuals had they had they selected something else. And it's not always their fault because they're born into and groomed often from an early age. And you're like, that's that's bad. I feel bad for some of these kids born into these super, yeah. super um, like blue blood, you know, uh, uh, situations. Yeah. Yeah, like I don't think Harry or William are all that happy kids. You know, I don't think they had a happy childhood growing up. And I think they're kind of messed up really badly right now. Um, but I, do, I don't see any signs like that that they're that they're integrated, happy, whole people um, by and large. Yeah, will you and I be any different if we were born in those families? Would we be pulling there are the same strings? Of, of people who break from profile in my research in history, I do find that there, there are examples like, well, you know, well, quick, Buddha. easy example, JFK. We've been talking about JFK. He was born into a certain family that had sort of played a certain bootlegging of, fucking bootlegging, doing other criminal activity, election rigging, you know? just all sorts of like, yeah, there was some, some nasty stuff that, that we know that the, the Kennedys, uh, that Joe Kennedy participated Joe, yeah. in despite that. And he had a lot of experience. Alan Dulles knew JFK since he was a young kid. He was he was coming to the family house throughout JFK's life, and and Alan Dulles was happy that JFK would be elected because he was like, I can control that guy. I know what he is. Do you know Herbert oh. Hoover had records on JFK, specifically JFK, during World War II, when he was just a yeah, fucking sailor, everywhere. fucking everywhere. You got just did he have records on everyone, or was I mean, are they that deep that they just fucking? I think I think JFK was from a, a high family. Like him and his Fair brothers enough. always had like a little like wasn't just an enlisted GI. He was no, yeah, yeah. They, there was always things planned for him. Dynastic, just like Franklin yeah. Roosevelt had things planned for him early yeah. on because of you know the family connections. So yeah. um but they broke, you know, there there's these examples of people in more modern times that broke pro, broke from profile, um, had the call to conscience and started not playing by the rules that they were expected to follow. And they, it's not like dying was not part of their considerations. It's not like that was like a big surprise. It's that they valued the health of their soul and something deeper more than the the material expression of their life. They were willing to do that, um, which I think a lot of people in the conspiratorial community tend to overlook because they they get caught too much in the in the mechanics of the murder, and they they forget well what was burning inside of him. How did he cultivate the the powerful creative identity that that they had? to navigate through such hostile environments to the point of being willing to be more happy to die than to live according to the rules that were being set for them where they could have lived till their nineties, uh, you know, very old age yeah. in mansions. They could have had a, had a great, Just... and they chose to, to not do that because of something more, more important. And there's cases of like King Carlos of Spain in the 1780s, who was also um, by all evidence I've seen a good man. He, he broke from his Habsburg profile, found a love for the people. I think he had some some wise advisors who worked him um, and trained him to break from his bad advisors. And he he was educated to that 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 spark was was kindled. And you could see like the the paintings that that uh, King Carlos, um, I think it's the I forget which Carlos it is now, but that that one who was um, active in the 1780s. He was he was a lover of the American Revolution. He saw in his mind an age of reason whereby all of the, the the serfs and the poor would be able to be brought to a better way. And he he created a land bank to provide credit 
instead of for wars, but for the development of canals, of schools, of training of orphans. Like he did a lot of good things. And all of the paint the paintings that he commissions of himself, he's never wearing like a ton of regalia. He's like, he's like, he's never that. He's he's just always portraying himself like wearing his hunting rifle, having killed a rabbit, you know, like very like down-to-earth guy. And there's there's other examples of good, good royals in time in the past. I don't know of that many examples today, but they're there. So the breaking of, of family profiles does, does occur. I, you got a lot running against you. I mean, it's the chances are low, <laughs> very low. Yeah. It is. Um. Oh, one quick one. King George, the third, King George, the third, actually the mad King who's, who's the, who the, who was the one active during the American revolution. They call him the mad King. Cause it, when you actually look at his life, he wasn't a bad guy. He didn't like being the head of an evil empire. <laughs> he actually, he would, he was driven nuts by, by the expectations of him having to fill that unnatural role he was being expected to fill. And um, I did a whole lecture on him a while ago. And that's a sad case. They had to take him out at a certain point in like 1810. They're like, we can't have you anymore as king. And they put him into like solitary confinement in, in like, you know, a vest. We can't have you keep thinking about the atrocities. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I guess from um about the whole, you know, being detached, is that advantageous or disadvantageous? I think we could maybe approach approach it again and instead of the individual, just look at it from like an evolutionary standpoint, right? The ability to propagate to the next generation. <clears throat> Is that advantageous for the quote unquote cabal to be detached, to look at everyone as subjects and to think you're above it? And then by the time you have your own crisis of conscience and die, someone else is replacing you and the machine goes on. It's... It depends. Is there is there evidence that their their authentic self-interest as uh, is maintained by by them having made that detached choice? Um no, I don't. Or, I don't think that. I don't think that. I don't think that matters. It's okay. does the machine, does that power just like the like the whirlpool with the water? Fuck the water. Does the structure stay? These guys might all. I mean, at the end of his life, like James Jesus Angleton was miserable. He was an alcoholic. He was gaunt. Everyone left him. Suicide or something? I think he committed suicide. He might have. I mean, a lot of them they end up just fucked, but the machine keeps going. So no, we're not talking about them. The machine, does the machine implode? A certain point after. oh yeah we might just not be on a long enough timeline we might we might have to wait a couple more centuries and observe it sure. i mean like there there is a certain mediocre mediocrity that is embedded generation to generation like if you look at a lot of the the official like those upper level managers who are we currently see available um and expressing the interests you know of of the oligarchy let's say parting over at davos look at a lot of these characters look at yuval harari and look at like how they compose their thoughts it is such a mediocre quality of thought process and generation compared to just a couple of generations earlier, where if you read like Bertrand Russell or read H.G. Wells's Open Conspiracy or, or you know, Bertrand Russell's like uh, Impact of, of Science and Civilization, or they are so much more, they had so much more depth and rigor and intellectual fortitude back then. And then they created these structures, which, yeah, they've, they've now, Propagated. you know, the structures have, have promulgated beyond their lifetimes. But now we're a couple of generations later, and the, there's a, a mediocrity in 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 those people who are now expected to like helm the helm the machine. 
or, or, or manage the manage the the, the ship of, of the of the machine. So I mean, from what I'm what I'm looking at when I look at a deep dive of history as a whole, I I find that this parasite is really good at doing sort of the same thing, but in a modified fashion over the course of of different cycles of history and the oligarchical structures, the families, the 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 top down cults of of Rome that managed, you know, the the cult of Apollo Dionysus, uh, the cult of Sibyl, the cult of Mithromiter. Uh, which was the the cult that sort of managed all of the the Praetorian Guard of Rome. It was the sort of the the centuries cult. Um, all of these different cults were all managed by a certain upper upper oligarchical system that are not that different in in nature than a lot of the the Freemasonic cults and Luciferian cults that emerged out of the the the, the recent post Renaissance period. They they took on like different physical structures, slightly different names to the rituals, but ultimately the same thing in terms of what it's doing and how it works on the mind and on the, the, the political body. Um, but every time that this oligarchy really as a parasite is able to, to maximize its desires, it usually kills the host and Rome doesn't do well at a certain point. And it just ends up like over collapsing under its own overbloated, uh, you know, atrophy. Like it, it, it atrophies its own powers of, 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 creative flexibility it can't be flexible anymore because it destroyed those mm -hmm. creative um loving natural powers that everybody is endowed with but that are crippled and but that's the basis upon which human society um thrives is is the cultivation of those individual of individual thought and genius so empires are just all about stasis and stagnation and they get it and then they, they kill the, the host the parasite then has to sort of like it doesn't benefit like I looked at those families, that's the topic of my, my fourth volume that's coming out this week is how the families kind of like all sort of backstabbing each other after like Rome melts down into like the Visigoths, the Huns, the Ostrogoths and everybody else like sort of becomes these like, it's like a warring states period of Rome, right? For like 200 plus years. And there's like a complete chaos within the oligarchy. They got to find like a new center command structure that's a little bit more strategic and sort of try to reconstruct. It takes them centuries to start reconstructing their empire again using similar techniques and then they do it all over again and they get what they want and then they 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 self-collapse again and then they have to sort of like rewire themselves migrate find a new host reconstruct themselves and it's like this yeah this this well, it, it's, cycle it's, of self-destruction <laughs> it well, doesn't yeah, seem to be indicative of, of something um it doesn't indicate to my mind that they actually are operating on true secret knowledge or anything of that sort. They're, they're operating on a, on something that has power, but not real knowledge, not truth. And it's thus out of whack with the, the, with the laws of nature. I, I don't, I see them acting against the laws of nature in that sense. I was talking about this last week with someone about, you know, whether it's oral tradition or, or, or written tradition, how that's really like the biggest separator between us and the animals is like the animals teach their kin how to survive and every generation teaches the kin the same thing versus like we, we pass down generations. So when someone learns, you know, metallurgy 3000 years ago, we pass it on and now we no longer have to relearn that. Right. And we're standing on the shoulder. Like we're using, we're using computers that you and I didn't invent. We're using microphones that we didn't invent. Right? We're using airlines and medicine. That that's kind of the difference, right? Is it's like playing a video game and having to restart every day versus being able to save it and then pick up the next day from where you saved. But 
that only goes so far because when we look at kingdoms and oligarchs and power structures in this in that same way they're almost like the animals in that they just repeat their lifespan is like 500 years but they just keep collapsing and repeating so it's almost like they're never learning anything you have to wonder is like is is AI going to be the next jump to where it examines some machine examines every empire that's ever risen and fallen. And it goes, Oh, I'm not going to make the same mistakes. And is that going to be the next paradigm shift of like empires that don't fall to the same fate as prior empires? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think that, um, yeah, the, the question of, well, on the one hand, AI, I think when you look at, machine learning per se, it, it is intrinsically, it's ontologically um, limited in a certain way. Like for example, if you take uh, human um, artistry, like for example, the, the, the type of poetic intention you could only communicate through um, an allegory, for example, um, the story of, of wise King Solomon, right? And, and the dispute of the two mothers who said that they're mothers of the same baby. And his solution that he provides to them was kind of like the computer solution. It's like, okay, you say you're a mom, you say you're a mom of this one baby. Okay, the computer solution would simply resolve that very much like he does in the story, which is like, let's cut the baby in half and give you each a half. Easy, no, no more problem, you each have half a baby. Um, the simplicity now, of men. <laughs> exactly. Cut her in half, stop bitching. Uh, so, he does. I, I think the, the the resolution was a demonstration of why AI has um, an ontological upper limit that it, a, a computer couldn't make that type of leap, um, which was made by whoever wrote that story of, of King Solomon, which is that no, you, the, the true mother is the one who said, okay, give the give the baby to the other mom. You know, like that she had because she demonstrated the love of the baby, whereas the other mother was kind of just cold and yeah. detached and was like, okay, no, it's not you. Um, so on, on the one hand, I, I think that AI as a whole has been a little bit overblown by those who want us to believe that the oligarchy themselves have these sort of like neo-secular magical powers. Um, back in the day, it was maybe like, you know, they the angels were on the side of the oligarchs or the masters. So there's no point really resisting because the angels, you know, they're, yeah. they have the side of God and the angels, whereas what, what do you have, you know, slave? You pig. Um, Today, I think they're using more like a whole slew of these different modern tech, you know, like <laughs> the nanobots in our in the in the injections are controlling our minds, and and you know, like the AI is going to be deployed to manage our our universe, and, or you know, Elon Musk will say unless unless we merge with the machines, and then we can like avoid going extinct by mer whatever the case. Like, there's so still, many variants. Still extinction um, in a sense. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, yeah, no, but I, I see a sort of just a neo-paganistic uh, um, belief structure that renders that's designed more more than anything to render us impotent. Not that machine learning is a bad thing. Like machine learning could could be useful in a variety of ways to do things that you know, like cyclical human labor, um, things that 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 human beings do that a, that a machine can also do. If you have a healthy society, well, that should liberate the human to actually now uh, explore Expand their metaphysical higher consciousness. Yeah. yeah, like, you know, become, you know, yeah, develop a real hobby, Does it develop a skill set, of, you know, we, we artistic uh, We won't do that, though. Well, we're far from it culturally right now, I got to say. Like, we're, we're pretty down in the dumps. Um, but 
you know, uh, conceptually speaking, I, I don't think that that's out of whack with our nature. It's just we're culturally so impoverished right now that it, it, it's many, <laughs> many, many stages of development have to happen before we can we can get there. Um, yeah, we're still in the horse and buggy of like morality, but we're in the yeah, and, and that gets self bombers the, of technology. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, we've we've fallen. I think we, in many ways, we're more morally advanced a few generations ago. We we we've fallen back a little bit through arrogance. Um, in some ways, but in some ways not. I mean, it's not humanity's not entirely fucked. I mean, just even not, now, not I'm entirely. Reading... I just think we've stumbled. Um, sure. You know, but I'll have to say that that gets to the second thing, which is the the benchmarking question, and like how, when you, you a society is advanced, you know, through the Bronze Age, you can use those that past knowledge and then use it to continue to build upon. That's true, but it could also be a point of corruption if you do it wrong, if you do it sloppy, because if if people get too dependent upon memorizing past the effects of past creative works that produced technological innovations but if we just memorize the technique or we memorize the formula and we don't think about um understanding what was the creative process that brought the new discovery that manifested in the new technology that produced the new symbolic mathematical formula which works but if we don't go through that process it's not real knowledge it's just sort of like opinion right opinion wearing the 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 the, the costume of knowledge but we can't play with it. We can't, we, we don't have that creative flexibility to, to do what the creative, like what Da Vinci did or what Pythagoras did with, you know, like we, we can't play to improve qualitatively upon those discoveries that were given to us. Not, not that we should go through every single discovery that's ever been made. We never get anywhere. Yeah. But we do have to like, I think have an education system that does encourage us to not, not just memorize and pass tests, but to really think about why things are true so that we, we don't take things for granted anymore. And I would say in that sense, like we have a very advanced society today in terms of the technological levels that we're at, but people are, are arguably a lot dumber in very important ways than they used to be because they're just treat or they're just treating things on based on surface appearance. They're not thinking about what's behind the surface appearance of things anymore. We, we've lost the ability. That's why people don't believe in conspiracy theories. They're like, oh, you're, that means you're a crazy person, right? you don't see a conspiracy you don't see an intention a purpose a design an idea like this is invisible well, it's and complete. people like martin luther king or the founding fathers all were functional because they believed on, and they understood conspiracy theories were part of life yeah for good or for bad. yeah there's no critical <laughs> hold on i think my maintenance guy's banging at the door sorry keep talking again sure uh, yeah okay so on the issue of conspiracy <laughs> theories and intention we have right now a problem whereby the question of purposefulness is not something that can be cut in half, shared in the way that a slice of pie can be cut in half. And so the type of pleasure one gets from pie is inexorably of a lower order than the sort of pleasure one can get from the pursuit of wisdom, the seeking after purpose and the making of discoveries. Um, and in that in that way, the world is not simply a zero-sum game because purpose and discovery design, things that allow us to have a concept of justice that's more than the sum total of their parts, cannot be located in any one singular place in time or bounded in time or space in the sense that there cannot be a set, a, an idea that is ontological of 
a moment before which justice existed or after which justice will cease to exist or outside of justice, it doesn't exist in the same way as a pizza pie does or as a cup or um, beverage of soda pop, which has an outside, inside, before and after. And thus, we're back now for the, I was just rambling about the question of the metaphysics of ideas and how they're different from physical things. Um, you brought up a, you brought up a good point about, yeah, the, the environment that makes, that makes a Da Vinci or an Einstein. Um, like, I mean, right in college, there's always just like the, I was pre-med in college. I got a biology mm -hmm. degree. I got into medical school. I was, that's all I did for like four years was study, just complete hermit. And one thing I started to do though, was uh, just to be more like efficient with time. I just wouldn't go to class. I would just teach it to myself. Like, why walk to campus? I can fucking teach this shit to myself. And a lot of times there's nothing to teach, right? It was just, it was just chemistry. It was just memorizing equations, but that's not learning. That's just rote memorization. But then there would be like actual learning, right? You got to go in. So, you know, whatever this chapter on organic chemistry, you got to go in and, and learn it. And as you're going through, it feels different than just memorization. Oh, I'm actually mm -hmm. learning. But I remember I started to think like, I would do this thing where I wouldn't go past a page until I understood it. And it's different than, let's say it's a 10 page chapter on benzene rings or some shit. And you turn the page and you're going and you're like, well, I'm not sure. And then it will tell you the laws, right? I mean, it's not Newton, but it's some organic chemist. These are, these are Matt Eretz laws of aromatic. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I see it. The the hydrogen atom will do this and the proton will blah, blah, blah. But then I remember it, it kind of dawned on me one day. I'm like, I'm still not learning. I'm being told the laws, which is, again, good. We can't all just have to discover everything or we'd still be cavemen, right? It is good to build on things. But I started to, I started to almost enjoy, I would come up with like my own laws at the end of like a page or two. And I'll be like, okay, it seems like this happens. It seems like that happens. And then as I'd go through the chapter, you'd start to get Bob's laws and that some of mine would be wrong, but you'd, some of them would be accurate. And you'd go, oh, fuck. Like I, I came to the same conclusion. And you can do this if you're just studying all the time. You don't have a social life like I did. Now, if you just wanted to finish the chapter as fast as possible, you would just read through, find the laws, memorize the laws, go on, take the test. But if you're a fucking hermit loser like I was, you took great pleasure in like, oh, well, why? It's just like ego stroking. You're like, I came to the same laws. But then it was also like, it dawned on me that that was learning. That was actually observing the same data and being able to conclude the same laws that some guy 50 years ago concluded. And it's that, you could almost put yourself in his mindset and go, he didn't have the laws to look at at the end of the chapter. He had to examine it all and go, what does it mean? And that was like a different level of learning. It was like being in the weight room and like adding the, adding a little more weight. You could actually sort of feel like your neurons straining, but it was so satisfying. To how you're saying that. Yeah. But do you, so, do you find that it was, Oh yeah. Sorry. No, so what I was going to say is, and I always, in, I got into medical school, I scored in the top 5% of the MCAT. 
and ultimately decided not to go. But like, I always look back at that and forever. I've always thought like that ultimately was just a waste of time. Like I should have just gone and I went to the university of Georgia. I should have gone to a football game. Like I should have had a life. And, but and I started this podcast a couple of years ago and like, no one showed me how to do it. I had to, you know, the first episodes were on a laptop in a big echoey room and it was shit and it's gone through iterations of, you know, now we're a thousand episodes in, I've been doing it for 37 months now and, you know, different iterations of cameras and microphones and sound panels and you learn how to conduct conversations differently and blah, blah, blah. But I've realized all of that kind of has its roots in that form of studying because eventually I did come to a problem of I want to be my own boss and I want to enjoy what I do, which is talking to people. How do I turn that into biz into a business? There's no one like, well, turn the page. Here's what you do. It's like, mm-hmm. no, it's this, it's this baptism by fire of like balancing your own morals of like, well, I'm going to get kicked off YouTube for interviewing these doctors, but I believe in free speech and all these things. And it's allowed me to flex that muscle of mm-hmm. learning on my own. And that leads you to then start questioning things of just like I don't need the book to dictate the laws to me. Mm-hmm. It also then bleeds into, well, Fox News and CNN are saying this, that and the other thing. But you're like, I'm observing this, that and the other thing. I kind of feel like this is going on. And then the people who have never thought for themselves in their life go, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Well, at one time, Newton was a conspiracy theorist. It feels like, hey, I think like a force will remain at motion until an object, until there's an opposite force on it. They're like, oh, you fucking crackhead. Everyone knows it's demons. Like, right. But that's an interesting thing that it has boiled down to the point where it's like, hey, man, I think there's like a conspiracy to fund this war so that we can be this perpetual war state. And people are like, uh, Snopes debunked that. And I'm like, okay, but like, what do you think? Yeah. When you see all these people making all this money and passing laws to erode your civil liberties to further solidify and consolidate their power. And they're like, uh, source, do you have an article about that? And I'm like, but no, they fucking own all the media. Like, you have to think on your own. Like yeah. the building's on fire. We should leave. Uh, well, the the people in charge of it said it's not on fire. Yeah, they're trying to burn you to death. Like, Sorry. Or like, yeah, the, the, the building's on fire. Let's let's take this water and put it on the fire. And they're like, no, that that water is dangerous. Uh, that what? Uh, Bob said the fire's safe and effective. And I'm like, I'm like, Jill is on fire in the other room. They're like, Jill doesn't trust the science. And you're like, I'm leaving. I mean, that's the ultimate. What eventually happens? You just go, God bless. I wish you the best. I'm out of here. Like. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hope you come to the appropriate reaction when the fire touches your clothes. <laughs> and I, I wish you the best. And I hope you remember this conversation. But Goodbye. I'm out. But I'm yeah. out. Oh, oh, so you're a bigot against fire. Say whatever you want. I wish you the best. I'm leaving. I'm I'm leaving. But you can see that how kind of that how that's bled into the it starts with just well, I don't need to learn it on my own. There's the three rules of aromatic rings and I'm going to memorize that. And it's like, but it eventually manifests into higher orders of society of, uh, well, they said this is safe and effective, so I don't have to think about it. And it's like, not necessarily. They also told you that nine out of 10 doctors smoke lucky strikes. Like there is, right? 
the, 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 you know, we got to get rid of the Glass-Steagall Act because it's getting rid of your ability to build wealth. And you're like, well, see, they said it. And it's like, they might not have your best intentions in mind. They might be lying. But that's the thing too, right? If, if you don't believe in, this is the, the value of like, for the, from the standpoint of, of empire, having shit like the Frankfurt School and critical theory, like this Freudian Marxist Weberian hybrid crap that like re- tooled our school system that that created a, a sort of toxic soil out of which relativism could relativism could grow um the, the idea that you no know, the only the only tools that we have to know the truth are our five senses that's that's an, an ontological unquestionable fact you have to just assume is true you have five senses that's all you have to to look at the to explore the universe and of course if you as soon as you get people into that stupid mindset as soon as you start pressing your thoughts against the universe, thinking that you only have those five senses to work with, you will find that you can't discover any causality of anything because your five senses are tools. They are not the source of what will give you a sense of causality. From there, you have to learn how to use your tools. You have to learn how to, like, what is it that is, you know, I could see things, but I can't see sight. I have an idea of sight. I can smell things, but I, you know, I can hear things, but I don't, I can't hear hearing. That's a concept. It's a valuable concept and I can improve my concept or diminish my concept through ignorance or bad wrong ideas of it. But you have to learn to see in the realm of metaphysics, like real metaphysics, not magic, where actual substantial ideas that are well-earned are, are what is used as a, as a base to build upon a new idea as a structure, right? It's like this invisible, people put a lot of effort into an appreciation for the mechanics, you know, like I, builders mechanics plumbers electricians a lot you know have real good trades in the real world they know you can't like skip steps you have to be very careful with your cuts your your measurements you don't just like you know you're not just whatever you you pay attention to how things have to work from blueprint to design to to actually building the structure where people will be living in and if you do something wrong people die and then oftentimes because our society is so hypertrophied on the on the technology technician side of things like we've produced a lot of technicians who can be like you know who can memorize and apply rules that work but there's been a, a conscious destruction of our um i guess we could say is that the pure has been detached from the, the applied and so the speculative the, the side where the mind exists that that realm has been um can really poisoned so that the, these people don't take the same amount of uh, self-discipline and attention to the 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 structures the houses in their in of, of their mind and their soul which should you should pay just as much attention if not more attention to carefully constructing your own thought system that is going to be based upon reality as it is not as some you know newspaper or talking head and spin doctor on the media or expert anonymous expert that you're told to you know adapt to it should not be that it should be look at basic reality that is observable and now process and think about what is making it happen that's it should that should be a very easy organic natural fun thing to do and, and you tapped into it instinctively um and i know anybody who's got like a certain i i have this type of conversation with i've had this with jessica rose i've, I've had this conversation with a lot of people who, who think with a certain potency and they all have a very similar set of experiences somewhere along the way where they just learned to trust their own power of thought mm -hmm. instead of trying to race ahead and, and get unearned answers every time 
I, it's always there. And in, even in people who haven't thought about it, if you think about it, if you think critically, I guarantee you at some point you made that discovery in some way. Um, and, it, and it teaches ironically humility. Like I'm, I'm, sure. I, that's what I was going to ask you. Do you find that you've, you've been, you were made more humble or more arrogant by your having not jumped the gun to get the right answers, but thought about it. Do you, do you think that, that your ego was inflamed convincing you of being, yeah, that you were such yeah, a, yes and no, <clears throat> you one you're like, fuck yeah, I discovered this thing, but then, yeah, of course there is. Yeah. But then you also start to go, um, you start to have these realizations that, well, if I came to this conclusion, so one, there's the ego boost where you're like, fuck yeah, I learned this. But then there's also, there, then there's the humility of like, well, that also shows me just because you discovered something and wrote it down doesn't mean that someone a hundred years from now can't discover the same exact fucking thing. Does that make sense? Right. So, so like Bob made the laws in 1950. <laughs> I'm smart. I've discovered them on my, on my own. Well, that means somebody in 2050 can also discover them. So it's really not that. Congratulations, you put the square block in the square hole. Yeah, I mean, it's a large number of people are going to be able to. Bob did it first, and it's very cool that you also did it without knowing Bob did it. But that also means somebody after you is going to do it without you. But it also, it's very, it's, well, yeah, no, that's what it is, is it's humbling because you start to realize the answers are there for everyone to find. And if you just apply them, you can figure it out. So in a way, it's like it, the wisdom isn't yours. It's there to pick up. Anyone can do it. If we, if we, if humanity vanished today, given enough, and but or all of our collective knowledge just vanished today, every textbook, every whatever, given enough time, I mean, we would create wheels, would create aqueducts, would create fl like we would do it again. So in that sense your ego can't get too big when you realize, oh, they'll, they'll, some alien species has also discovered calculus. And you go, oh, it's, the laws are written into the fabric of reality. Yeah. So it's more about finding them. Like you don't, there's real no sense of accomplishment if you scratch off a lottery ticket and win. Like someone yeah. was gonna, right? Yeah. You can go, yeah, fuck right. yeah, I did it. Yeah. I took that quarter and scratched it off. I did it the I'm best number, ever. I'm number one. Yeah. No, yeah. no, you didn't. You just, you picked it up. Congratulations. You did it. Yeah. But it, above all else, I wouldn't say it's like a boost or a detraction from the ego. I'd say it's, um, it's actually, it's satisfying, but it's also fun. It mm -hmm. is. It's like one of the curiosities of being a, a human with a functioning like my favorite thing to do with like a new video game is to not turn off all the tutorials turn off all the tips and don't read don't find some walkthrough guide online and it's just to play the game and go what the fuck is going on like all right this is forward this is back this is how i pull out a gun what is going on how do i do this how do i and it's sure i mean someone can be like oh you didn't know how to fly you have to type in this thing and that but that's oh, not fun yeah. it's yeah, well, discovering it for the first time is like a magical experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I've got the I bought a garage <clears throat> sale these old popular mechanics from the 1950s, and it's just shocking to see the the type of like what what young people who were reading that back then thought was like a popular thing to do. And they were like, uh, there was like features on like make your own what is it like your 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 own ham radio or like explore how 
microwaves work by buying this device or make your own rocketry. Um, but I mean, just the, I, the wonder has been really crippled in so many people's minds. And, you know, if you just stop and think about it, like even the idea of what we're doing right now, something, there's something embedded in light that is tied to electromagnetism, right? That has a magnetic quality to that interfaces with magnetic fields, which not only that, but allows for the encoding of visual and sound uh, effects that can be then transmitted vis-a-vis some device that I have stuck on my computer and then transmitted to you received by your eyes and ears and then unpacked, Mm -hmm. identified qualitatively by something you have inside of yourself, registered as meaning, and then, uh, you know, respond to speed, if not faster in the, in the, from the standpoint of what's going on in the head. Um, and on a subliminal level too, I mean, there's, there's other things we haven't even begun to explore. Um, there, it's like it's a wonder that that is a wondrous thing <laughs> that this is everywhere. Every star is emitting light. Every star is creating the periodic table and the isotopes. And somehow you have spectrums within within star systems whereby the environment is just right for some of that material to be become conduits for a living expression of itself. So that the carbon in my phone and in my body and in in my plant, my cat. It's not the same carbon in the sense that it is, but it's not behaving or governed by the same principles when it's in a in a non living thing versus my cat. So like so much wonder, right? And when you start just appreciating it, you, you're like, the universe why I, is. Why do I need Netflix? Yeah, why do I need that? Like, there's so many things to to yeah find. It's it's fun. Learning becomes yes. a fun thing. It's not this like I gotta, gotta do the, the homework. I want yeah. to get a good job. I want my my whatever peer group or family, whatever to respect me or, 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 uh, be in awe of me or, or something like th- those feelings start, like they don't matter as much. No, it's just, uh, it's like a liberating, exhilarating. I mean, it's like one of the most delicious experiences you can have. It's like discovery of like getting, like building, like no one showed me how to do this podcast. No, like no one, most people just said I was a fucking idiot and I probably am, but there's like no greater experience than like, I've built this ethereal machine of like cameras and lights and talking to people and it like now it pays my rent. And to me, I'm like, that's like, that's on par with like discovering fire. Like I've created my own machine. That's like, that's like harnessing a wheel to be pushed by a river and it, and it moves the textile like machinery for you. You're like, this is fucking magic. This is like, this is a cult magic, but like it is. And not only that, I mean, one, cause I just, I'm just ADD, but like, I, I mean, I, I've never owned Netflix. I've, I've, I've rarely watched movies and that's not some like edgelord thing. Like, well, I don't consume culture. No, I don't give a fuck about it. Like, Hey, I'm with a Marvel movies. Fun, man. Eat, eat a pop brownie and, and watch Iron Man. Like it's, it's fantastic. I'm not knocking it, but like the reason why I don't, I don't, I don't consume Netflix series or, or movies or game of Thrones. I've never watched game of, because to me, I'm like my everyday life is so much like richer, like having this conversation with you or, you know, I'm going to talk to a fucking doctor, this or an astronaut that like, it's so it, it makes TV pale in comparison. And 
in the same way you're like why would i watch this movie when you can yeah discover something on your own it's so much more it's having a, a, a an imax 3d theater and someone's watching like a black and white cathode cathode ray tv you're like what the fuck are you doing this is here this fully immersive vr hyper realistic I have a supercomputer, and they're like, I'm going to play with the Abacus. And you're like, why? But I don't know. I, have, I don't know. Oh, man, I, I absolutely. And I, part of, too, like you've created a platform that involves you. Because, um, I mean, for me, <clears throat> it, the, the learning teaching process, it obviously runs hand in hand. And I think it's like that for you, too. It's like that for everybody who I think taps into a certain potent um, mode which which uh, is not something we unfortunately have a lot of access to in this otherwise pretty toxic stage or moment in our civilizational experience. There's the, a lot of these opportunities have been withheld, um, variety of political and other reasons. But so you, but but when you really get into a, a a real learning process, you're also thinking at the same time, okay, can I? How can I learn to communicate this? Like I want to yeah. understand it so well that i can be i can communicate intelligibly um so at the same time you're 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 the learner teacher and and all good teachers are like that i've only had a couple of teachers that were good most of my teachers were really stiff um but the couple that were good i know that they had that they they they, they were happy to admit that they didn't know something they were they were hungry for a student in the classroom to pose a good question that they didn't have an answer to because then you could have a, a dialogue with the, with the other class with it with, with the room right and you don't know what's going to arise, but it's going to, the process is going to be really valuable. That's where people are like learning to, to walk with their mind, you know? And, um, and I think with the platform, you've done a thousand of these things, but each time, you know, you're, you're doing a little bit of preliminary work about the person that you're going to talk to. You're, you're thinking a little bit about how are their minds thinking that I can participate in a conversation with them. And just that alone is, is giving you the, the sort of, the 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 pacing the the self-organizing drive to assign yourself to be master of yourself and assign yourself the your 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 tasks that you're going to carry out you know the the the, the missions that you're going to give yourself and it becomes something that we find that like a lot of people used to do this when we had a more entrepreneurial society before our before we became a consumer society in the early 70s before that, the, the ethic was generally this idea that everybody could be an entrepreneur, everybody could be given opportunities to develop good ideas that they have inside of them that could be then, you know, monetized, that could be something that both sustains you, your family, but also other families who will be working for something productive that you are doing as a smaller, medium entrepreneur or, or farm. And um, and that's like the lifeblood. If you, if you have that, you're going to have corruption and your things won't be perfect. And people will steal and cheat and there'll be, you know, bad ideas and stuff, but you're going to be on the right path. Like things will be in, an, in, in a trajectory where they're getting generally better. People can expect to have the next generation living at a better, better life than they did, which was the case for the, up until like this generation, that was the norm. It's never been the case where a generation thinks that the, the, their kids are going to live worse than they did. That's now the first time we've ever, ever seen that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's, it's humbling, but it, it's also like it's 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 empowering because it's like if this a lot of people because they're they are so sense based, they think okay, the world I live in is the norm. 
the, the, the medi mediocrity that I encounter around me and the disappointment and corruption is what is the normal state of humanity. And that really creates a nihilism. You're like, well, what the fuck is the point of that? If, if this is all we, if this is the best we got, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm just going to like, I'll be to detach <laughs> yeah. and just, you know, I'll, 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 I got my drugs. I'm just going to like, I'm going to detach. Yeah. <laughs> There's no point. But if you're like, no, this is actually the most unnatural, this is a very unnatural state of things we're told is normal, but it's not normal at all. This is super, un we've been told like living underwater is normal, but it's like, we're, we're humans. We're not meant to live yeah. underwater. And maybe that was like tolerable for the first couple of minutes, but now we're like, you know, eight, nine minutes into it. And things are feeling very unnatural and we don't know why we're all going through existential anxiety and we're like, why? It's like, cause this is not normal. <laughs> it's, but, it's, and then there's no critical thinking and there's someone that's like, maybe we shouldn't be underwater. And they're like, well, where'd you read that? And I'm like, I'm just observing. I don't think it's, well, the guys in charge, the guy holding us underwater said that we should be underwater. I'm like, well, he's trying to kill you. He's trying to, he's trying to fucking kill you so he can have all the oxygen. No, 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 no. But yeah, right. I want just like being underwater though. Do you eventually reach a point where all of the conditioning breaks? You go, I know they said being underwater is safe and effective, but you're like, I've got to get the fuck out of here. I don't care who calls me a conspiracy theorist. I can't breathe. Is there a point where I just all the conditioning is just shattered by biological necessity? I would say that that's that's a bit of an open question at the moment. I mean, um, what is that we're even certainly look? seeing cracks. Yeah, um, I mean, tons of structural cracks in the in the zeitgeist and the in the 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 contrast the, between the matrix the, is it's glitching, glitching left and right everywhere. Yeah, um, yeah. how we respond morally to those glitches uh, and epistemologically to those glitches remains to be seen. Whether we're we've we we still have a fitness to survive or not morally. Um, I certainly have faith. I'm an optimist. I I think. I think we can go for oxygen. I think the, the desire is there. We just lack a sense of how, how it works. We forgot how to, how to use that, the, the lungs properly. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. It's like, there's, there's a lot of loops to, to jump through at this point. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. And I guess, well, we could maybe kind of wrap, wrap it up with like, well, here, here's what I'd say. Like, Sure. It depends on what the audience who's part of this process, right? Like people think that they're watching this. They're not. They're participating in this. I, we, you know, we said at the beginning, you're a voyeur with the trench coat. Not really. You're actually yeah. a voyeur with the trench coat, but you're participating. You're, you're yeah. part of it. You're the, in the, the city park exposing yourself. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the cops can and will hit you. <laughs> so, it, you know, it, it always comes down, I think, to this um, subjective question of like well what are we going to choose to do differently in the course of our personal lives for those watching this it always comes down to that and if people people run away, there's a lot of things that have been put in our path to have us numb the subjective self-examination side of uh, the human experience and i think we we can't run away from it we have to tackle it courageously and um, how we process and, and manage that that battle, it will determine, I think, the outcome of whether or not we as a broader we have the the fitness to to go for oxygen and stop allowing ourselves to put our own heads underwater. And there's no there's not even a hand really. The, the hand is really tiny that's putting our, our big head underwater. It's like a tiny little 
sub midget hand, you know, like doing this. It's very easy physically if we wanted to. We are many, they are few to move the head back yeah. out of the water. But um, a lot of it is in our own mind. We it's like the elephant, you know, the famous baby elephant tied yeah, to the stick, tied to the problem, stake, right? Yeah. Uh, that that big three ton elephant will still not walk away from the stick if they've been trained since the, since a baby. It's the same thing. It's 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 a mind game in many ways. So people should be reading slower. Don't read faster. Read slower. Think about what you're reading. Think why are you reading? Don't don't read to consume. Don't you know? Think maybe write write your thoughts. Have a blog. Have a Substack. Start a podcast. Like take a more active participation in the in the in the the studying process so it's not just passive learning but active learning mm. and you know um organize with other like-minded people like try to get better at being a communicator a, a, a conduit of these higher universal concepts the better you're gonna stumble and it'll be sloppy at first but don't lose heart keep trying you'll get better like any anybody who goes to the gym that muscle will grow it'll grow pretty fast spiritually it's not physical um if you do it with an honest heart and uh and try to think about political, like politics, with a more humble, you know, I, I would say, uh, with more humility. People often look at politics from a, a somewhat from filters of their own prejudice, and I think instead we have to look at it from a broader historical appreciation as well as other cultures, right? Like, what are how are what is the Chinese civilization? What is shaping uh, this the psycho spiritual cultural matrix that shapes the political and, and social culture and artistic culture of Chinese? What about Indians? What about the Russians, what about the Iranians? Um, like try to really immerse yourself in another culture and then look look at yours from somebody else's vantage point a bit, which we don't do nearly enough. No. I think and there's there's also like <clears throat> you kind of have to have humility in that I think most generations, whenever things get bad, think it's the end of the world. Like things are more fucked now than ever before. I mean, it's been bad before, but it's like, no, it's not. It is bad, but it's also not. Like, even just World War II. I mean, just think about that. Like, four hundred and twenty-five thousand Americans died. We didn't even lose a whole lot like, in the big picture. That's, I mean, in 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 three years, we lost what nine times what we lost in Vietnam in a decade. And it just had, but I was sure it happened, you know. Taking Iwo Jima was like more casualties than the entirety of the war on terror. That was just like a week, like yeah. And then Great. you think about you think about that, and we got through that. I mean, we got through the Cold War. JFK got popped a year after the Cuban Missile Crisis. We still got through it. It doesn't mean that things are good now, but I always have to kind of remove myself and be like, you really think that this is the worst it's ever been? I just. I don't know. And it might be. I also just, I kind of have a feeling that we're on like the edge of something. Some, I don't think whatever happens is going to be along the lines of what's normally happened. Oh, this empire falls in that one. I feel like we're like, we're, there's about to be like a new dimension to it. We're going to break off into like some space colony or there's going to be some new paradigm shifting thing of, hyper intelligent ai or indistinguishable vr or some weird transhumanism it feels like we're just like pushing down on the toothpaste bottle but not opening the top and it's like something's going to explode 
in some new if it's not thermonuclear warhead it's going to be some new form of creativity and innovation i don't know what it is i can't possibly know what it is well i think definitely it's like the slingshot thing you know like we're at a place where, yeah. where there's eight eight billion of us and yeah we have, we have atomic power we're on the we're on the cusp of fusion power yeah All yeah powers are really could do a lot of good but it's like if you aim it badly it could cause a lot of damage like it depends where you aim it you know you shoot for the <laughs> yeah yeah, um, yeah we... <laughs> give though uh something's definitely gonna give it's for sure yeah no we are yeah yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. We're pulling back the slingshot, and it's like this is gonna go one of two ways. We're either gonna there's hit so the target. Potential. Yeah, there's so much potential for good or for bad, but the potential is it is as big as it's ever been. That's for sure. Well, I mean, it's splitting the atom, and it's like, oh, we are so close to like free energy for everyone, and it's like, or thermonuclear holocaust, and exactly. that I feel like that's where we are with robotics ai space exploration social CRISPR media too, right like crispr, CRISPR. And some of the the the, yeah. the the microchipping uh technology that involves you know brain <laughs> paraplegics like you, you there's it's feasible that we could uh get rid of a variety of hereditary diseases that have plagued humanity for millennia that's possible but at the same time if you have a death cult yeah, utilizing same. that tech yeah you know more dystopic yeah it's so, uh oh yeah this is where the moral the moral cultural field is always more important like culture is everything is downstream from culture and if you every, the, the the main battleground is really this cultural field primarily and if you and that always has to stay on pace if not more advanced than the technological the tech side of society society's evolution and if if, if the tech side is allowed to atrophy or, or sorry, hypertrophy and the cultural side morally atrophies, then you're in a technocratic feudal dystopia um, every every time. I guess but if you if you if you have proper balance of both co-evolving together, um, like why don't we have more? Why are we told that nobody can compose like Beethoven or Bach anymore? We're told that was from the Baroque period. We don't do that anymore. Now we do pop music or like modernism which is just like random sounds or, you know, like we, nobody can paint like Da Vinci or Rembrandt. We, we're not allowed. We don't do that. That's the obsolete old way of painting. Now we paint like Jackson Pollock or Mark Rothko with big, cute, you know, big splatterings of paint. That's the new wisdom of art. It's like, well, no, like, why am I being told that as a, as a, as a, as an art student that I can't do that anymore? What if I want to do that? What if I want to reconstruct and learn the techniques and the science of painting and color and, and harmony that they they these great masters once understood why can't i do that i might you know so that you need a society that can always cherish the good of the past and also learn about the the folly that occurred when we went along with evil too long you know and this is where i think the arts come into play like the the whole idea of like looking at reading edgar Allan poe's stories or looking at sh experiencing shakespeare's um plays and his tragedies are not just to be entertained although they are entertaining but it's also to learn something about these universal lessons of being a human and being a human that isn't able to break with your own tragic impulses and then you become a hamlet or you become a Macbeth, who had maybe potential or othello who had potential to do good and to be a great person and they had these these little things inside of them that they couldn't they couldn't resolve and that 
is at the heart of why they became tragic and killed everybody around them, including themselves. That they, you know, so great art, music, literature, all of these things should be able to be made better. We shouldn't just be like walking around in togas because like Plato had great ideas <laughs> or like in wigs because Mozart, you know, lived in a world where people wore stupid wigs. But like, why not rediscover what was best about what they created and then make, and then maybe we'll discover we can even make it better than they did, right? Instead of making it arbitrary, abstract, like just fucking sloppy as sin. So we're now in a cult of ugliness called called art. That's why I, that's why I broke out of school. I mean, I I, I had to quit. I I, I dropped out of uh, of fine arts in university. That's what I was studying because at a certain point I didn't know why, but I knew that I was being broken emotionally to be an abstract artist, and I couldn't pass if I was making any of the ideas that I had in my thought in my mind. If I if I was making them intelligible via my art to others with like a moral intention that I wanted to try to embed in some way in my in my uh, animated videos I was making, I would fail consistently. I was like, oh, I, no, I, I don't want to just make people squirm uncomfortably like I'm being told I have to do. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fuck that. Um... <laughs> I'm just trying to think, like, then what's like the thesis to this? What's the conclusion of this whole podcast? I mean, is it? Yeah. I think it's just like observe reality and try to understand the laws of it. Not human laws, but like the immutable physical laws mm -hmm. and go forward. It seems like all degeneracy and decay comes from just passing it down and doing something because someone else said to. Like, do don't what you want to do. Stupid. Don't do anything stupid. Don't do anything stupid. That's that's all we get out of two and a half hours. In conclusion, don't be stupid. Then we're no better than the oligarchs. Yeah, exactly. Be better than the oligarchs. Be better <laughs> like, than the <laughs> Destroy your inner oligarch. Destroy your inner oligarch. Yeah. Have your own personal French Revolution. Decapitate your soul. No, that's not good. That's a bad. Uh, decapitate your inner demons. I don't know. Maybe we're maybe it's flawed thinking that we even have any sort of authority to dictate a thesis. Maybe, maybe you should. Yeah, let's you, let's let the the audience decide what this was all about. Yeah, no, come to your own conclusion. Read your organic yeah. chemistry and watch the podcast and make your own conclusion. Fuck us. Don't listen to us. That's the that's the ultimate teacher. In conclusion, I'm not telling you shit. Figure it out on your own. That's, that's the good. best advice we can give. Yeah, you can totally get behind that. All right, that's it right there. <laughs> Fuck you all. All right, man. Well, hey, uh, please email me uh, the links to all your shit, and I'll put it in the description. I'd love to have you on again, dude. And uh, thank Anytime. you for that. Thank you for that chat. As you can tell, this is a there is no rhyme or reason to this podcast. I just turn it on and have no idea what we're going to talk. We start with thank JFK. No, this, is and good, salsa. this is good soul food. I, I appreciate it. That's the only way to go about it. That's the only just stop thinking and start talking. Start with JFK's brain and salsa and end with philosophy. Fuck am I now? Oh <laughs> All right, dude. Hey, I'll send this to you when it's up. It'll be up in like, I don't know, like an hour or something. Great. Right, uh, sounds good. Thank you so much. Hey, please, okay. uh, if you could write, just email me whatever links you want in the description and I'll copy and paste and put them right in the description. Sir. Okay. All right, thank you so much. Until next time. All right, buddy. Bye.